Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube, the cube. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 74, yeah, I think it's 74, of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. I think we're Dan and Brendan, yeah. Yeah, we, we think we're Dan and Brendan, and <laughs> we think this is episode 74. <laughs> anyway, so Brendan, we got a few things today, but we're kind of doing a catch-up on this episode, right? Yes, we are bouncing back to Broken Realms Techless. We went to Broken Realms Bellicor first last episode yep last episode yep. because dan was most excited about that one and yeah. we'll we'll follow what we're passionate about yeah, rather than a sequential ordering dan has some big hobby announcements i imagine they're going to be soul blight related stay tuned for that i guess yeah that'll be in emperor lies well first thing we'll talk about so okay all right man anything else going on I think that's it we got all kinds of events popping up all over the place like yeah freaking weeds it's great <laughs> the floodgates have opened let's hope it stays that way yeah for sure all right let's move on then to whispers from the warp hello my name is Inigo Montoya you killed my father prepare to die and Brendan your hobby has been you're kind of flatlined and you're still doing stuff but mm-hmm. compared to what you had been you've kind of paced off and yeah yeah sometimes you just got to take some time and you know recharge rather than when you get home and just grind through a bunch of stuff yeah. i have been working on my unit of marauders finishing those off i got five more done this weekend and i've been working on the crimson court models i've got two of those four done i built a blood knight one singular blood knight yesterday that's all right yeah so all good i really want to finish my slaves of darkness before i you know really start working on the soul blight stuff sure i gotta find the motivation to cross that finish line with the last couple of units i have and there's three more varengard that i still have to build and paint oh yeah but you got six now, right? I do have six now. Okay. I ultimately going to want another six plus three plus the three I already have for a unit of six with spears. Okay. And so I'm going to build these three with spears, and later on down the road, you know, we'll come back to the units and and all that stuff. And, sure. And put the rest into it. But I think what I have now is is good. It's fine. I'm able to play a lot of the games the way that I want to. Mm-hmm. And. If there's something that catches my eye in 3.0 is like, I really want to run this, I'll add on whatever I have to. But having a, a good foundation for a collection is, you know. It's pretty critical. Yeah. yeah. And for something that kind of just like I started painting on the spur of like, yeah. hey, that list is cool. It's let's, true. It's, yeah. Let's try that. <laughs> yeah. How many models later and how many days later of painting and hobbying and yeah I'm like they've man. they've taken me a minute yeah um are you gonna get bellicor in your competitive list now or do you think that's just not gonna kind of work with your well slaves to darkness so right now the the lists i have bellicor pointed himself out of the list okay right, moving up to 380 yeah the knights of the empty throne list that i had been running with bellicor now includes a chaos sorcerer lord on manticore sure 
you know, like, will I purchase a Bellicorn and paint it? Probably at some point. It is of no urgency because none of the lists I have depend on Bellicorn. Okay. They depend on other things. You haven't built anything around him, so... No. That's not No, and I, I really don't have a very large demons collection outside of my Slanesh stuff. Right. Uh, Legions of the First Prince list. Yeah, that'd be tough. Yeah. With what you have on the table. It wouldn't make a ton of sense, either. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, okay. that's that's what I've been working on. Uh, what about you, Dan? Well, first thing, wanted to talk a little bit more about Bellicor. So a couple episodes ago, you had questioned my motivation for purchasing a Bellicor. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, the more I thought about it, he actually got me thinking. It was like, yeah, he's going to sit down there gathering dust for a while because we got vampers now and all those kind of things. He found a home, which is really cool. I sold him to Bryce. We had a really cool time. We met up in West Bend and just had a long lunch and talked about a lot of stuff besides AOS, but it was just great to hang out. And then we exchanged stuff, and he is now in the process of making his Bellicor, or that Bellicor, amazing. Yeah, and it was cool because to see the pictures on the Discord, because we had talked about him wanting to do it without wings at the lunch, and it was like, okay, let's see how that turns out, and it turned out beautifully. You can't even tell to me. I mean, I I don't even feel like there's anything missing the way he's painted it. When I saw the front-facing picture at first, I was like, oh, he must be painting the wings, you know, separate. (laughs) Right. And I was like, that makes sense. I could see why, you know, you would want to do that and focus on that and then focus on the the wing portion. And then as I was scrolling through pictures later, you know, he had the back turned. And like in my head, I still had, oh, well, he's painting the wings later. And I was like, well, wait a minute, where would they even connect at this point? (laughs) And I'm I'm scouring the model, like looking for some like green stuff. Pinions or something. Imperfection or, you know. It looks really good. It does. He's done, as usual, he did really, really some great hobbying. So anyway, I just want to follow up on the fact that he's going to be on a table somewhere instead of in my storage locker, which is great. (laughs) I've really made some great progress, I think, on my Night Haunt. So I got both my Cruciators done. They're based, everything. They're in the battle foam box and they're ready to go <laughs> for the tabletop. I also got finished my conversions on my coach with those two Morangles. That is totally done. Yep. Although, as I was talking to you very briefly yesterday, there are definitely issues of mass and center of mass with those guys because of where they're sticking out. Instead of four little plastic ponies, I have two big blobs of resin, which are much more dense. Yeah, sit at the front and just... (laughs) So I've had to kind of come up with some reinforcement and some support stuff to make sure they're going to be okay. Probably want some counterweights on there too. Yeah, and even in the storage thing, I've got a place that kind of... I've got some stuff there that hardware that supports them kind of but they turned out great and then i got all 20 of my heritons built and primed and converted i put (laughs) instead of those hormigant things which i hated i put hacksaws on the ends of their arms which you know they're medical people bone saws that makes sense (laughs) i saw that my first thought was he must have talked to nick mckenna about where to (laughs) uh where where to buy add-ons for for his army (laughs) i texted nick you say that that's so funny because i said you inspired me with your dinnerware man Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) but i think it looks okay yeah it looks fine i actually think it looks better than than those scything thingies you know the hormigant stuff so it'll be fun to bring them to the table so those are all ready to paint and then i also have one unit of miramore banshees that i got to get painted i'm waiting to find the other 
unit because I can't find them anywhere. So hopefully I'll get them in time. I know you you and I had talked about playing a game soon and you can just, you know, lend me one unit of yours because yeah. I want to be able to use that battalion and give it a try and see what happens with it. Yeah, with the Emerald Host probably there to create infinity uh, <laughs> wounds. Infinity <for> Lady <laughs> O wounds. So that's been my hobby. I felt really good about the progress and now you just mentioned it as well. The whole thing of staying focused on my night haunt and getting them done now that I have like eight boxes of soul blight stuff in a bin ready to go with more coming next week you just got to knock it out or you're never gonna i don't want to say never never's a long time it becomes more difficult to backtrack to it because i have a lot of legions of nagash stuff that i Mm. never track back to and with the soul white things i'm purchasing i'm kind of staging all of that together so that i can kind of finish that project in the way that i did this summer with finishing my flesh eater courts yes and really doing the whole of the night haunt army Mm-hmm. You know, instead of the couple of units I had done and using that as a break then so that I had the wherewithal to finish the Bone Reapers, which I now have to finish another unit. The Warhammer Underworld stuff went up for pre-order, which we'll talk about yeah. in a little bit. If you have a collection thing in mind and this other project is, is catching your attention, my recommendation is if you really want these things, finish them now. Mm-hmm. Because to pivot off of the Soul Blight stuff midstream back to this is only going to create two more difficult instances. And for me, like one of the things that works is physically putting those things away, all that soul blight stuff down in the locker. So it's not accessible. It's not Mm. like near my hobby stuff where I can just grab a box and I'm just going to throw these together. But then I could have painted five heritance or something in that time. Yeah. Um, So having them away is great. I know they're there, but all my other stuff is out and ready to go. So it'll help me stay motivated because I got, what, seven weeks, which is plenty of time before Circle City. All right. Well, anything else? I think that's it for hobby for us. I think so. Okay. Then let's move on to new stuff. Vampers are here. The first wave is hit. First wave is available. Hooray. Second wave is up for pre-order right now. Yep. And the first wave was Battle Tome, cards and stuff. The Vampire Lord with bad hair. The Blood Knights, the Vingorian Lord. Skelly, Zombies, and Felbat. So that's was first mm-hmm. wave. And then next week, from this pre-order that started yesterday, we get Dire Wolves, we have Lady Annika, we have the Rat Prince, who's just cool. And then we have Belladama and Radicar the Beast. As well as the Start Collecting start co- Yeah, Start Collecting Soul Blade. Uh, yep, with all the Grave Guard and the cool White King on a horse. Yeah, I actually picked up one of those, or pre-ordered one of those. I want the White King on horse, number one as we'll talk about in future episodes and things like that, I think Graveguard are really good. They had a place pre-Grimgrass Reapers, and now they have their kind of rightful home again. Good. That's great to hear. That they have some value. So a bazillion Soul Blight models um, coming out. There was also 40K stuff. The Admech pre-order was yesterday. We'll do a quick review of that book sometime in the future. Probably not next episode because we're doing Soul Blight and that's going to take forever. But maybe after that, we'll do just a quick thing to go through the different Forge worlds and some of the special rules that the new book has because I know there are some. So on the 40K side, we got books and cards for Admech. We got three combat patrols. We got Admech. There's one for Marines. There's one for Necrons which is really nice. It's like a 250 point. They're a 25 power level Necron army, so it's really nice if you want to start them. There's a Marine Captain. There's the Chronomancer, who again is really cool. Flayed ones, which are great. There is Heavy Intercessors for the Marines. There is Lalith, who's the Drukari, quote, hero. (laughs) She's been around in the lore for a bazillion years. And then your guys, Brendan, exciting. Yes, the Osiarch Bone Reapers Warband, uh, Kanan's Reapers. Yeah. 
you've got to be thrilled with that. And it's, the War Scroll is actually pretty good, at least I think so. So it points out at 190 points for the hero and the five more tech. So it's six models. Right, it's six models. Your heroes range from 120 to 140 points. Right. A Mortec unit is 130 points, so this is 65 points of Mortec Guard. And so when you squish those points together, it comes out as correct. So like if you end up in some of these weird spots list building wise where mm. you end up 50 points down, this would be a decent way of replacing one of your heroes with a beefier hero. Mm-hmm. And you still have some bodies that, that go along with it. Now, they're keyword locked into Mortis Praetorians. So, okay. like, you can take them in the other ones, but they're going to get the most benefit by being Mortis Praetorians. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to picking them up and and working through that uh, kit as well. Okay, and cool. I imagine it'll go relatively quick. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I think that's it for a lot of stuff coming out. There were a few things we'll talk about in Scriptorium, the new new books and stuff. But games played, I'll do mine first because it's quick. Mm-hmm. Civ Six. I mean, okay. <laughs> hopefully you and I are going to get some games in before Circle City, at least three or four, I'm hoping, uh, that we can talk about. And they'll be short, as always. They're going to last two turns, and that's all good. That's oh, so uh, hurtful. <laughs> you played in a... One day event. So yes. talk to us about that up in West Bend, right? I have a couple of things to talk about. First, we'll get the video game one out of the way. We finished Wasteland 3. Nice. Our first playthrough of oh, it. Oh, wow. Okay. I was a little disappointed with the options at the ending. Mm. You have so many good options. And and what I mean by that is a variety through the, the course of the game. And then at the end, like we chose to follow you know like different paths and things like that and we figured for sure we would have different opportunities available to us based on some of the choices that we made it seems that kind of regardless you are locked into oh. like having to make one of four choices okay well at least you had some choice we did have some choice but the way we were playing through we were like well we don't really like any of these <laughs> So at the end, we were just like, well, what do we think is going to be the most fun to play through here? And sure. and that's ultimately what we ended up doing. I definitely left feeling a little bit disappointed that that there was... Now, it was the end of the game was fun and all that. And we had some inspiration for our next playthrough, which we're going to do as an evil playthrough. Oh, cool. Where we're going to grab the kind of evil companions that you can pick up along the way. All right. And because in our playthrough, we encountered them. We were like, oh, this person cannot be in our group. Arrest him. This is. uh, So we had some ideas with that. And there's some DLC coming out in June. When we do the second playthrough, whenever we choose to do that, we'll definitely have some new content that will still be you know, kind of new and surprising for us to awesome. encounter. So we have that. And then I had a, a one-dayer that we went to up in West Bend, uh, Hammerfall. It was 10 or 12 people, 2,000 point, Age of Sigmar. I brought my Knights of the Empty Throne list because there wasn't a paint requirement. So my Marauders weren't finished and my Chaos Sorcerer Lord on Manticore wasn't finished and my ca- my second Chaos Sorcerer Lord on foot wasn't finished yet. So okay. I had like 12 unpainted models, uh, which, you know, not bad. If you want the, the blow-by-blow on all the rounds, I recorded the host, Jesse of the events has a podcast called Knife to the Heart. They invited me on this week and we did kind of a blow by blow okay. of that event. And if you want some of my early thoughts on Soulblight Gravelords as a preview to our next episode where we jump into it. Do a deep dive. Yeah. Hop in over there, you know Knife to the Heart. Knife to the Heart. Okay. Yes. Just like the relatively mission. new podcast. Yeah, I think I was like 
episode seven or eight. Oh, wonderful. Um, That's great. They're relatively new. Go give them a listen. Give them feedback. Let them know what you think and that kind of stuff. Help them grow as a show. The first round, I played Cody Much, who was playing Daughters of Cain. He's, you know, you might recognize him from the Fox Valley crew. He's mm-hmm. in Madis- the Madison area nowadays, and he was playing a Calebron Daughters of Cain list. Calebron, that's interesting. Yeah. In the new meta with the daughters, you don't, you're not seeing that much. So mm-hmm. interesting. With Marathi, ten combat snakes, ten shooting snakes, some Sisters of Slaughter, a Medusa on cauldron, some canaries, some shadow stalkers. This was, it sounded like it was one of his first games back. <laughs> okay. You know, from lockdown. And he made some top of one mistakes, oh. I would say. Not putting Mind Razor on Marathi or the mm. Snakes, mm-hmm. anybody really. He made some deployment mistakes and I capitalized on it at bottom of one and took off most of his army okay. with my Varen Guard. Yeah. Who, when turbocharged, will just. Yes, as course. you saw, Dan, yes. we'll just scoop huge, <laughs> handfuls, <laughs> yeah, handfuls of expensive models, points wise and money wise, really without yeah. too much regard for what it is that you have defensively. Yep. He conceded at bottom of one. I know that feeling. Yeah, and so <laughs> I can empathize with him. Yeah, so at an event, now I will sometimes make you play a little bit further oh, sure. just to get in the habit of and get the practice. Yeah, too. of fighting your way out of the paper bag. At an event, if my opponent does not want to keep playing, I'll just let him walk Don't away. Push, yeah. Right. It's, yeah, it's not worth The it. only thing in there is talk to them about, you know, like how the game resolves down the road so that mm-hmm. everybody can get the points appropriate. Because, like, this event was scored on the victory points you get in game. So the, the mm. score you had in game is what effectively decided the winner. So you needed to run the score up, which. I would say it was kind of an interesting decision from an event running perspective. I think for a one dayer, it's probably fine. I don't know that I would want to do that from like a two dayer perspective. Of course, because over the course of five games. Over the course of five games, you would have to make sure that you have missions where you can score a lot of points, all of it. But then it also encourages running the score up. Mm-hmm. In the course of a five game event, that can lead to a lot of people who are coming in already with mismatch expectations and then getting a really mismatch result. Sure. So we basically just did the remainder of the points available on the table I got. Yeah, and I can see that. I mean, and if you've got people who are going to be playing those top tables, you know, like yourself and others, it's almost like there's going to be this huge differential mm-hmm. between those top tables and everybody else as opposed to where you're you're almost kind of averaging the results when you do 20 or 5 or 10, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, the normal scoring. Yeah, it's it's you won. Your opponent was just like, look, man, I can't win this game. Mm-hmm. Me sitting here and you're not going to table me, but you're going to sit here and score all the points. Right. There's nothing I can do about it. And you're not going to kill me in time. So you win. Right. But I could see an opponent being like, look, like we have to play the five rounds. And the one person being like, no, thank you. Yeah, uh, sure. Like you won. Good job. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting decision and played to the results. And round two, this is the one where one of the co-hosts on Knife to the Heart basically said that this is the game that decided the tournament. Mm. Like that game, that table, from an outsider's perspective, their thought was whoever won that game was going to win the whole thing. Okay. This is one where him and I go turn by turn on the podcast. So I would say definitely listen to that one. But I was playing a three-drop Caradron Overlord list. Ooh. 
with 20 Thunderers in an Ironclad. Obviously, you know, playing Zach Lambie, I have a lot of Caradron yes. Overlords PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. With that, obviously Knights of the Empty Throne, to begin with, is kind of an off-balance list, right? It requires a lot of things that you don't maybe necessarily consider, things that you don't, you know, have maybe thought about. It, it just operates in a different way. Sure. I did things he wasn't expecting. He did things I wasn't expecting. Oh, cool. And it was, it was just this back and forth game but that would be really interesting for you since it's something oh yeah it was great it was one of the best games of warhammer i've played period like not not even like the oh recently or anything like that it was one of the most fun games i had he played it super hard he played it super well and this game was decided on a single dice roll not even like the dice roll for priority okay a single dice roll in battle round five decided the game holy much he ultimately ended up winning it I scored a lot of points, and I was going into Game 3 hoping that his opponent in Game 3 could keep it a low-scoring affair so that I could Mm. try and shake it out. And so Game 3, I played a change host with Mm. a ton of Screamers in the sub-faction that makes Screamers better. I remember you thinking about that for, for a period of time. He had just received a phone call before our game that him and his wife had an accepted offer on purchasing a house. So. He was pumped. He, he was pumped, and the game didn't matter to him, I don't think. <laughs> he was definitely playing to try and win, and he was looking at playing a Knights of the Empty Throne list uh, kind of as his next oh, project. Okay. So he was super thrilled to be standing on the other side of the table of a list that he was really interested in and had been doing some some homework on. Sure. Part of that sub-faction is, is he gets to have D3 units make a pregame move. Mm-hmm. He out-deployed me. He was a two-drop. And so I figured... He was going to set up a bunch of stuff on the line, which he did. I tried to set up in a way where I could try and get to one of the units, but I figured he was going to give me first turn after having moved his screamers back. Mm. But he moved him forward. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that. And I think that was a huge mistake. He still gave me top of the round because you absolutely don't want to give me the opportunity at a double turn. And I used that closer unit of Screamers to get my Marauders in, to get my Varengard in, and an opportunity to just basically push my whole army mm. up board and leave my Chaos Sorcerer Lord on Manticore as kind of a midfield player to... Because his army is objectively faster than mine. Oh, yeah. E- like, even without the change. 16 inches, I think, of those Screamers. Yeah, yeah, 16 inches in fly and... Huge. Basically, everything is in the change host. So I left my fastest unit, the the Chaos Sorcerer Lord on Manticore in the midfield. to Because like he can go beat up some Screamers, and he can go beat up like the Horrors or the Flamers that he could yeah. have teleported. I maintained priority into two, and through a series of charges and pile and shenanigans and double fighting and all of that stuff, I killed his 10-man unit of Horrors, which is really 50 wounds. Right. And I killed another unit of Screamers and two Varengard killed the Lord of Change. Oh, my God. Through some really bonkers rolling. Oh, God. Because I was playing, because when I played with you, I was playing in Sorcelled Weapons. Yes. I wanted to try out Demon Weapons mm-hmm. in this. So it's sixes to hit are a mortal wound in addition to any okay. other damage, but they're three attacks per rider instead of, Whew. Instead you know, of two, instead, right? Instead of six. Oh, okay. The, the weapon I played against you is, is six. Right. But I had my eight-fold doom sigil out Mm. on the table (laughs) so they were four attacks per rider and four attacks per horsey so i did a bunch of mortal wounds on the to hit roll and i was like cool awesome great and then six is to wound with nurgle is plus one damage 
which means that they are rend one damage d3 plus one when I roll sixes. And I oh. rolled, like, of it, I rolled, like, three or four sixes and, uh, you know, a couple of the other ones. Forced him to make a bunch of saves. Mm-hmm. And I roll super hot on the damage. It leaves him with two wounds. Oh, God. And then the horsies fight. Yeah, of course. That did it. Yeah. And... He Just had, the volume of dice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're no rend. So he had two damage, two saves to make. He grabs a six from his pool because he had like a bunch of ones, twos, and threes, and two sixes. Okay. So he grabs one of the sixes from the Destiny, Destiny dice pool, and he goes, it's a four up to live, basically. And he rolls like a two. Uh, and so the Lord of Change goes down. And him and I are standing there at, you know, halfway through battle round two, looking at it, and we're like, how did my slow army pin in your army? You go, yeah, I don't know how that happens. I, I was like, I certainly wasn't planning on it. That's funny. From there, it was really just mop-up duty. The Exalted Flamer shot a ton of stuff off, but the Varengard proved to be nigh unkillable. And I think I only lost one Varengard over the course of, wow. of the entire game. That's kind of surprising, yeah. They just absolutely steamrolled just the rest of his army. He had one hero and some Screamers left. At the end of the game, but I just had too many points to sure. to make up the difference. So good, yeah. It sounds like a fun weekend. For it was a fun weekend. I it was really nice to be able to go up, and I think it was like the day, a day or two before the CDC had made the announcement that if you have been vaccinated, you right. don't have to wear your mask. And then as we were up there, everybody showed up with their masks originally, and someone was like, "What are our rules like <laughs> yeah. in and around this?" That's good that you ask. And Jesse was like, well, yeah, if you're if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. And everyone just was like, oh, yeah, that was nice. And then yesterday I recorded a battle report with Christian for the AOS Pants Mafia or Pants Mafia AOS YouTube channel. Yep. So I'm not going to get into details with that. That's their content that, yeah, that they created. Go, go there. Yeah. Um, and so just go check that out on YouTube. It'll probably be up sometime during this week and maybe hopefully after this podcast is is out. As a preview for it, I was running the new Soulblight Gravelords book. Mm-hmm. I had had the book in my hand for one hour and one half prior to that game <laughs> yeah, being played. I saw you buy it. Yes. <laughs> it was really, really soon. And he was playing Coalesce Seraphon. I will give the preface to the next episode, episode 75. I have a lot of positive thoughts about this battle tome and things to look forward to. Not only if you're just a death player, but people in general in and around the game. I walked away from that game really positive on the things that you even already have in your collection. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Thank you for that. Okay. So that's games played. Mm -hmm. Events. Would you please just remind us of Brew City dates again? Yeah, so Brew City is going to be September 10th through 12th. Mm -hmm. I do not have a sign-up date yet. I imagine I am going to have to have something roughly by July to give everybody the appropriate amount of time to even put stuff together You get a fair amount of people who travel for this, too. So Yeah, my reservation right now is how many people I can have. Sure. Because I don't want to have to like keep having these rolling things i want people to know if they're in or not and to be able to plan accordingly to that and as things are becoming more clear that has been helpful for me obviously Uh, but it is still opaque enough where i am not totally comfortable with saying like this is where the number is going to land sure 
Well, I think after, you know, things are June 1st around, especially around here in Milwaukee mm-hmm. area, is kind of a seminal date, you know, so I think that might drive your decision as well once we see what happens with that. And I'm certainly hopeful of it. If my number is 24, then my number is 24. Sure. If my number is 37, then my number is 36. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> Just wanted to remind people when that was going to be. We also, it's so cool how these things, you know, again, we said how the tap wasn't turned on and all of a sudden it's on full. We have actually the weekend of October 22nd and 24th, we have three events all in the same weekend. And it looks like most of the people we know are heading in three different directions. Yeah. I mean, the guys from... Playing and Slaying are probably headed out to GameholeCon, which is a board game gaming thing out of Madison. Mm-hmm. RockCon, of course, I'll be headed to. And then you're going to head to Dragonfall. Yeah, which is so in Lake Geneva this all year. All on the same weekend. The Age of Sigmar side sold out you know, within a couple of hours. Sure. So the venue is looking to try and find more space for the people on the wait list. If you are interested, go to the website for Dragonfall. There's a button where you would go to buy tickets that just says notify me you get in line for waitlisting. Sure. I can't promise that uh, any more of them are going to open up, but I know from the TO himself, Mark Ramchick, that they are working to try and get more space. Perfect. That's great. That's fun and exciting and awesome. It'll be and, an awesome weekend for a mm-hmm. lot of people. That's wonderful. And then new on the calendar, besides those couple of things, we've got these huge, these kind of... These are Games Workshop sponsored and run tournaments. Austin, New Orleans, and Orlando, you were told. Correct. Okay. And they're all when? Yeah, so the Orlando one, I believe, is August. Okay. The New Orleans one is October, I believe. And the Austin one is November. And we're looking at probably, what, 150 or so on the Sigmar side and about 250 or so. I think it's 120 and change for AOS and it's 250 something for 40K. Okay. Which is a lot of people. Oh, sure. Plain plain and simple. Almost 400 people. Total for those of two players, events. yeah. yeah you know, plus, plus they're going to have Games Workshop booths and things like that. Oh, and they sure. promise that you'll be able to buy Forge World stuff from there. Of course, not that there's really any Age of Sigmar Forge World stuff <laughs> you can buy, anyways. So, yeah, it's really cool. The signups for that go live on June 14th. Okay, uh, Games Workshop About is going weeks. to continue making announcements for it. All three events tickets go live at the same time. So, my recommendation is you pick out the one that you want to go to, and then. If that's not available at that moment in time, if there's a backup one that you want to hit, then jump over, jump over to, to try and jump over to that one. Okay. To have 700 and some odd change select spots for 40K and then close to 400 spots for Age of Sigmar, there's almost certainly going to be a spot for you. And hopefully it's in the one that you want to attend. You know, maybe there's something in the city that you want to go to. I know for me, I'm probably going to take some extra vacation days around whichever one I end up in and just do some exploring with some Age of Sigmar friends of mine who have way more vacation days than they deserve. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So look out for those. We'll see what those look like. Yeah. Uh, Because to echo back on a conversation that none of you listeners were privy to, you know, Dan and I were talking about how the UK has this in some way, shape or form, but they have a dedicated space for it at Warhammer World. Their previous attempt to do this in the US was pathetic, uh, to say the least. Right. It was one of those things where we were kind of hoping hoping that those were going to reckon back to the Ard Boys tournaments, which were yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And those were quite popular and those were quite good. So we're hoping that, that these are kind of more reflective of the Ard Boys tournaments rather than the heats at the Citadel sure. in Grapevine. Okay. That's it then 
for whispers. We've covered a lot of stuff, man. All kinds of things going on. And yeah, and we have a whole half of a battle tome to review. <laughs> Woohoo. Plus some other friends they threw in for good measure. So we'll head over to Emperor Lies and be right back. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. Listeners, we're back with Emperor Lies, and I'm going to start this one out with a hobby announcement, a very significant one, and I'll kind of give it away by my preface here. But back in 2001, I started playing Warhammer 40,000, and I had a Space Wolves army. Very cool. I will say that, Brendan, I actually have every single Space Wolves codex on my shelf, all four of them, okay, including the paper one that was about... 40 or 30 or 40 pages, which is is the one I used at the time. So I've been playing for a very long time. I've had a really wide variety of armies. I had Space Wolves. I had Marines. I had Nids. I had Grey Knights. I had Admech. Tried a little bit of everything. But I'm just at the point now where when I look at what is on my shelves, how often I play, how often I utilize models and do other things, that it's time for me to move on from 40k. And so so as of this week, what I am going to do is <laughs> Brendan's <laughs> going I don't <laughs> what I'm going to do is I have already on eBay, I've actually sold all of my space brains, all my vehicles, all my painted, all my built models, everything is gone. All sold. I've got two 40K models left. I've got two knights. They're in these little plastic boxes. I've got a Forge World Knight and a a regular knight. But that's it for 40K models. Other than stuff that's in boxes, I'm going to end up giving away for prize support and things like that. But I'm moving on now. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to continue to dive into the lore because I love the stories. The stories are what got me playing the game in the first place. So I'm going to still do that. We're still going to be, when codexes of interest come up on the show, we're still going to be talking about them. We just mentioned Admech. So we'll do a short thing in Emperor Lies and a couple of few shows that talk about some of the main points of Admech. When orcs come out, I really want to talk about that one, Brendan, because that'll be awesome. It's just, it's time to move on. And... You know, it is what it is. And I did keep my Speed Freak, speed freak stuff because if there's something at Adepticon, I'm going to want to play that event. But I don't really consider that. It's more of a specialty game. And so anyway, that's it, listeners. Uh, 40K is history in terms of tabletop. And I'm going to focus on my AOS stuff. So, Dan. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> so are we even a podcast anymore? Yeah. What? What? What, what is going on? We are branded as a Warhammer, Warhammer podcast. We are. And we are still going to talk about Warhammer events. We're going to talk about Warhammer or 40K lore. We're going to review codexes as we decide, as they come mm-hmm. up. So games played, though, when I think about that, Brendan, to answer your question, when is the last time we talked about a 40K game that either one of us played? I mean... It's been 50 episodes or 60 episodes since we even talked about that. Well, it's a you talking about yeah, it. Yeah, right. right? Cause, like, I have 40K armies, Yeah, but I really don't play 40K unless, you know, I have a friend who's just like, hey, I want to play this game. And be like, all right, well, you're going to have to help me with whatever sure. the current state of the rules affair is. Sure. Uh, I was like, I'll play with you. But, you know, I think the last time I played was three years ago. Yeah. 
I was it was eighth edition. I haven't played a single game of ninth. You know, when I think about our 40k episodes, we did the Space Marines thing mm-hmm. when we reviewed that codex, which was really huge. And but we went through it, did all that, and then Troy and I talked about 40k lore. We spent an episode talking mm-hmm. about that. With Troy being our 40k correspondent, does he know about this change? Have no, you renegotiated he, until, his contract until no, <laughs> until we uh, <laughs> until he listens to this episode or tomorrow night when we're on their show on Plan and slaying he will not be aware of no as are most of the listeners but i just thought it was important that you know rather than just have it sit there and not do anything with it make the announcement let people know that that army is is now wonderful wonderful memory 20 years of memories and a lot of great stories and all kinds of great stuff great friends great people in that but it doesn't mean again that we're not going to talk about 40k that i'm not going to be interested in what's going on on that side you know and maybe the one little piece of hope here is that I do have a couple of knights so maybe at some point in the future I'll build a knight army with like eight to ten models or something like that but that's it and that's way off in the future because soul blight is going to be taking up my time for a very long time and so Cindy how do you feel about this are you totally indifferent to to this announcement and feel it's okay <laughs> yes yeah, he's meeting his two army requirements <laughs> yes there we go <laughs> With that, I also wanted to announce, that that's a huge announcement, but with that, Brendan, I also, right behind you on the floor, is my entire Beast Claw Raiders army, including four, three stone horns, a thunder tusk, 16 mourn fangs. How did you put it in the plant? <laughs> it's right next to a plant, blisters, oh. just so you know. Anyway, so that army is, actually, I've got bids on it already. I, it's still going on for three or four days, but that army is sold as well. So now I am down to my soul blight and my night hunt there you go so back to my two army limit so i have to keep true to things so i've got some corn stuff as we talked about but it's this little box of things it's not really an army it's probably seven or eight hundred points of stuff. it was an idea it was it was an idea and it was a cool idea and i have one model i painted for my army and mm. <laughs> i can keep that as a memory too wow that is not at all what i expected okay well that's good all right brendan so with that, <laughs> listeners, it's I, been great spending time with you now. And <laughs> Sure, I think. Uh, okay. Well, now I feel like the opening where we're confused is contrived, but I am <laughs> i don't know what's going on anymore. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Moving on, listeners, we are going to talk about Broken Realms Techless. And this is, as Brendan said, this was the Broken Realms before Bellacore. Mm-hmm. And we felt that it was, we were a little more excited about Bellacore, I think, and wanted to talk about that first. So, yeah. But it's very important because of what's in here in terms of the game state that we talk about things that are in this book. So we're going to circle around, make sure we don't leave anything behind, because if we waited, we'd end up not doing it if we waited any longer because of other things coming up. Let's start out. There are basically five things in here. We've got something, and a couple of them are really small. we got one thing for cities or a couple things for cities. We have an OBR battalion. We have a Flesh Eater Courts battalion, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and those are three like really kind of minor adjustments. Right. And we'll talk about those. And then we have some significant changes for Nurgle. I would categorize categorize it as medium to, to large where if we're grading against like what night haunt was night yes. haunt was large i don't think this hits that same level but okay it is changes here that to three war scrolls mm-hmm. that 
will kind of shift the way that you want to do some lift, list building. Okay. And then you have a second half of the Lumineth Battle Tome, right. which is obviously a major category. And just for reference, we are going to cover stuff that's new to this book. If you're interested in the first part, episode 54 of the I'm show. I'm glad you looked it up because yeah, I, I was just going to gonna say, it scroll was, through it and figure it, it out. It was last summer. My God, it was, you know, it was like the first thing when things started kind of opening up again. It was the first thing we talked about with Bryce. He was on the show. Yeah, 2020 has been the longest three years of my life. <laughs> So episodes 54 is where you'll find the first half of the Lumineth Realm Lords coverage that we did. So we're going to start out with the cities. There's battle traits and there's a war scroll battalion. Brendan, why don't you talk to us about this? Yep. So this is the new free city of Settler's Gain. So the way that the Cities of Sigmar book works is you pick what city you're from and you gain access to specific abilities and rules. Instead of picking any of the other ones, you can choose to be from the city of Settler's Gain. And in doing so, you are from the city of learning and you have (laughs) these traits instead of the ones in Battle Tome. And in doing so, your army is locked into being from Hayish, as one would expect from a kind of Lumineth-backed city. Mm -hmm. In Settler's Gain, you can choose one free guild hero or collegiate arcane hero to gain an artifact of power. In addition, you can add one to casting rolls for Settler's Gain's collegiate arcane wizards. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that is. And then one in every four units can be a Lumineth Realm Lord's unit. In addition, the option of one in every four units can be a Stormcast Eternal's unit. Wow. So this is just like the the one city where one in every four, the living city, one in every four can be Sylvaneth, and one in every four can be Stormcast. So sure. that's pretty cool. And then your army-wide command ability is at the start of the Battleshock phase, if you choose to use this, you can pick one friendly Lumineth Realm Lord's hero. Do not take Battleshock tests in that phase for friendly setter, settlers gain free yield or collegiate arcane units. Wholly within 18 inches of that hero. 18 inches, that's good range. Yeah, yeah that's I mean, reasonable. That's, that's nice. It's a way to play a city with a light elves lean to it. <laughs> okay, so sure. In the same way that you can have the Harkuron, where you can have the Daughters of Cain lean, or Greywater Fastness, mm-hmm. where you can have a Caradron Overlord's lean. It's nice that they do this pairing with these different armies. Sure. Okay. Command traits, Stan, which yeah, there's only three here, so which one? Raging Outburst for me. It's really valuable. Add one to hit wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by this general, but subtract one from save rolls. Depending on who you have, they've got some... Cities have some pretty powerful heroes, mm-hmm. and to do that would make that hero even better. So that's the one I picked. I, I think the losing one to your save roll is kind of rough. Yeah, it could be. It's, uh, I like the strategic mastermind, which is if your mm. general is on is in is part of the army and on the battlefield. That first sentence seems unnecessary. I don't know how you'd have a general <laughs> that's not part of your army at the start of your hero phase. Roll a dice on a four up. You receive a command point. So okay. you get that every hero phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other ways to get command points in some of the other cities. This is one of the ways that helps you with this city stay up to speed on command points. Sure. And you you a lot of times you both of us will pick something that gives us extra command points. Yeah. That's a really valuable resource. So we've got a table of six artifacts, Dan. Yeah. What uh what did you like? I liked a silver plated wand where the bearer can attempt to cast one extra spell. It certainly seems thematic for this one. 
where you've got, you know, it's wizards and those kind of things. It makes sense. And one extra spell is one extra spell. Who knows what that's going to do? You know, there, the, some of the rumors in, th- in third edition, you know, if you cast Myst- Mystic Shield to give a plus one save for something, that would be really valuable. Pick one of the, the other one was Blade of Leaping Bronze. I actually mm. like that one. Pick one of the bearer's melee weapons, add two to the attack characteristics of that weapon. Again, you've got some really punchy characters and heroes that you can have adding two to the attack characteristics could really up the damage they can do nice so okay yeah it's nice when we pick two different ones too so i really like the talisman of dispellation you do not have to reduce the number of spells the bearer can attempt to cast in your hero phase if they attempt to dispel an endless spell in that same phase yes i think that's got some good value to it yeah and then the other one is amulet of haste you roll a dice after the bearer fishes a normal move and they ran on a two-up, the bearer can still charge later in the same turn. Run and charge. Now, granted, you can only give these to collegiate arcane heroes as artifacts. So the number of models where this is like really useful is pretty limited. But I do like this kind of a rule where it's not an automatic run and charge. Uh, but yeah, on a two-up, that's pretty reliable. <laughs> yes. It doesn't get much more reliable than that. It really yeah. doesn't. And so you get a special set of three spells for the Settlers Gain spell lores. What did you pick? I actually like all of them. Yeah, uh, they were all pretty good. I think, you know, obviously you have to... I'm going to pick Illuminate, the casting value of a six. If successfully cast, pick one Mm -hmm. enemy unit within 12 inches of the caster. It's a bit of a short range, but remember that you can... When you're playing cities, you can cast endless spells as if they were always in that realm. Mm-hmm. So you can cast the portals, you know, pick something that's going to be 12 inches away from the other portal because the second portal can be set up literally wherever. Mm-hmm. Until your next hero phase, add one to hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target that unit. And then this army also allows you to take Lumineth Realm Lords mm-hmm. and pairing this with Sentinels or we're going to talk about the different Ballistas or the Spirit of the Winds. Pairing that with them is, you know, decent. Yep, or it helps you negate any minuses to hit from those units that you might be receiving. Sure, and that's the same one I picked, just because when you think about the amount of shooting and the shooting options you have with cities and allies and things like that, this makes sense. It really, really does. Really good. And then we have one War Scroll Battalion, which is the combination of things in that book. Zintel War Magi. Yes. And the uh, compilation of it is one Battle Mage, who is named, one Luminarch of Hyish, which is named, and one Celestial Hurricanum with Celestial Battle Mage. All the units from this battalion uh, must have the Settler's Gain keyword. Sure. And the two that are named are unique. In doing so, you gain the ability of when you use the Searing Beam of Light ability from the Luminarch of Hyish from this battalion, you can re-roll the roll that determines if a unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. In addition, when you use the Aura of Protection from the Luminarch of Hyish from this battalion, add one to the roll that determines if a wound or mortal wound is negated. Sure. The wound negating one is pretty excellent. Because a lot of them are either 5-up or 4-up, some of them. Well, no. So this is an Aura that is handed out from the Luminarch specifically. Oh, okay. All right. And it's a 6-up. And making it a five up obviously oh, okay. increases your Got odds it. by a hundred percent. The it. the dice to doing the D three mortal wounds is fine, but I think the protective aura is is the thing in that paragraph of words that sure. is is most impactful. Okay. Then after that, we get two armies that are physically included, but only in principle. They each got new war scrolls. And they're included because of the lore. Yes. And by the way, I just want to circle back real quick because we don't talk about the lore. You must have really enjoyed the Arkan part of the story. I mean, 
I did. I, I had to read it when I saw it was Arkin and it was Bone Reapers. Like, I want to see what happens here. And it was really, really a very engaging story. I thought Arkin went about his business that he was sent out on in the dumbest way possible. Yes. Uh, compared to compared to his compatriots, where if you kind of pair Wrath of the Ever Chosen as the maybe the beginning sentiments of the Broken Realms, even though it's not mm-hmm. technically Broken Realms, Catacross and Lady O went out on a very businesslike manner, yep. and they put a foothold into the All Points. Mm-hmm. Cool. When Neferata and Manfred were sent out to start causing some mischief. They did it in their own ways, but, you know, they went out and they got the job done. And when when they were done, they're out. Yeah. Arkin decides that he's going to take a leisurely stroll (laughs) down washout lane. kind of (laughs) In hostile territory. Why? It's like the Roman legions in the Tudorburg forest, you know, (laughs) when they got wiped out What three legions got wiped out or whatever it was. Knucklehead like (laughs) it was. But very questionable decision making. It was a good read, though. I, yes, I really, I, really cool the way it went back and forth, and somebody won in the end. But mm-hmm. he still accomplished something because he still got the realm gate. Sure, you know. So it yes, yeah. and he got that, and then he should have been like, "All right, cool, mission accomplished." Yeah, headed home rather than yeah, yeah. With that in mind, we have a flesh eater quartz and an OBR, mm-hmm. a war scroll. So why don't you talk to us about both of these? Sure. So the flesh eater quartz, you know, obviously both of these are the same ones that come in the boxes. Mm-hmm. And I think both are good values if you want to collect the army. I don't know that the battalions are necessarily worth your time. So the flesh eater court one includes an abhorrent arch regent who is named and thusly unique. One unit of cryptors and one unit of crypt ghouls. All units from this battalion must have the Hollow Morn keyword, which is the Crypt Horror-based uh, subfaction. And I have tried playing some lists with that, and it's not the most competitive lean, and I don't really think that this battalion is going to help you make it more competitive. Okay. So the rule you get is you do not take Battleshock tests from units from this battalion that are wholly within 12 inches of the Abhorrent Arch Regent, okay. which is really only for the ghouls. The horrors, right. if you are having to take Battleshock tests on them, you are already in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Because uh, <laughs> you're losing those mo- those few models that you have. Yes. Right. And then the command trait that you take on your now unique arch regents is once per battle, this general can use the Ravenous Crusades command ability without a command point being spent. So, okay. okay. All right. Fine. Or you could put him near his chair. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So then the Bone Reaper one is... Two units of Cavalos Death Riders and a Liege Cavalos. Mm-hmm. The Liege Cavalos is unique, and they all must be from the Stalyark Lords subfaction. Mm-hmm. And this one's not as as bad. Well, it's, especially if you want to take a cavalry-centered army, this mm-hmm. is kind of helpful. Yeah, and this is just a good purchase anyways for somebody who is collecting Bone Reapers. Mm-hmm. But the ability you get is each time you pick a unit from this battalion, when you use the Rally Back Command ability, roll a dice and on a 4-up, you receive one Relentless Discipline point. Oh. So it's basically a 4-up to not have your Retreat and Charge command ability cost you anything. Sure. Which is okay. Or you can have the battalion that lets you do that for free. Yeah. And you don't have to be Stalyark Lords, but okay. And then the named guy, if he is your general, he gets the Twisted Challenge command uh, trait from Battle Tome Osiark Bone Reapers, Mm -hmm. which is a dueling uh, trait. And if 
he is in your army. He must be the first liege to receive an artifact of power, and he must be given the Nadir bound mounts artifact from the Battle Tome Bone Reapers, which makes his horsey tougher. It, they're fine. It is what it is. But then we jump over to Nurgle, which had three War Scroll updates yeah. and a, a new battalion. Two of the War Scrolls, I think, fundamentally change the way that you look at Nurgle demon lists. Mm-hmm. So the first of these is the Sloppity Bile Piper. Yeah. That's so and cool. that's so cool. The profile on him really didn't change very much. It's the abilities that significant changes. Yeah, where you have the conversation around it. So Dan, do you want to talk about the sloppy yeah, bile piper or the spoil pox? I'll talk about the bile piper. Okay. I love just the names of all these things. <laughs> He's four inch moves still, five wounds, five up save, ten bravery. He's got the Marauder Marauder, which is his melee weapon. His abilities, he is disgustingly resilient, so he has a five up after save, which Nurgle demons have. Mm-hmm. You add one to the bravery characteristic of friendly Nurgle demon units while they're wholly within 14 inches. That makes sense. 14, in, 14, 7, all that stuff. Yep. Of any friendly Bile Piper. And then we have Jolly Gut Pipes. And this is another thing. At the start of your combat phase, you can say that this model will play a revolting tune. If you do so, pick one of the tunes. The effect of that lasts until the end of that phase only. A unit cannot benefit from more than one to from a tune more than once per phase. So you can't have like three bile pipers all standing next to each other giving you buff on one unit. Right. Right. But you could play different tunes to different units mm-hmm. to clarify that. So if you had three bile pipers, as you just used as an example, you could play three of the different tunes to each unit. Yes. So each one would have a a thing. So, yeah, because if a unit is affected by two or more different ones, nothing happens. So the first one is a stabbing we will go. Add one to the attacks characteristic melee weapons used by friendly Nurgle demon units that are wholly within 14 inches of any bile piper. Okay. There you go. So it makes your Plague Bearers uh, attacks characteristic two. Yep. It makes your drones 97 million attacks each because they have (laughs) three different profiles, I think. They have like nine or ten attacks a piece, don't they? I think something like that. Certainly after this, they definitely benefit from that one a lot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, The next one is early one evening, my pustule was seeping. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack, the next one's even better. Mm -hmm. Uh, if the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by a Nurgle demon unit, wholly within 14 inches of a Bile Piper, is a 6. It inflicts one mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. Now, I just love this, Brendan, because we've also got rules that say if it's a 6, the attack sequence ends. Mm-hmm. And it's like Spirit Hosts are like. Sure. But it's so nice that you still get to do damage or have the chance to do damage in addition to the mortal wounds. That's really good. Plus... As you said, and there are other ways, aren't there, to buff the number of attacks for Plague Bears, for example? Yeah. Yeah, so we can really yeah, so up the, that number. The Great Unclean One's command ability is plus one attack to to demon units. You can get Plague Bears to two attacks apiece, mm-hmm. still being able to do the mortal wounds. Or you can have this play out on the Plague Drones, and you give them the ability to do mortal wounds. Sure. And then the next character we'll talk about is also another way to get extra attacks as well. Okay. And so the last one is, my love is like a right, right fart. Enemy units... Enemy models. Enemy models, sorry. Within three inches of a friendly Nurgle demon unit that is wholly within 14 inches of a friendly Bile Piper cannot finish piling moves closer to a model from that unit than they were at the start of the move. Brendan, that would be would really be brutal to your Varengard. No. No, because okay. Because my guys pile in from six inches away. Okay. But this is devastating in the sense of you can pin models to be within three 
that are only reach one and they can't reach you and you get to stay in combat kind of forever and you force your opponent to have to maybe decide to make an inopportune retreat charge and hope that you don't do exactly the same thing again. But now, and I just want to clarify, so when you and I were playing, you hit my chain rass first, mm-hmm. and then you piled in a second time yes. with that six-inch pile-in. If you had something like this, you would pile in your six inches the first time, right? but then you couldn't pull away. You couldn't pile into another model that was I away. couldn't end closer to, to right. that model. I can stay the same distance, but the rest of the things can go closer to other stuff. Okay. So I wouldn't be able to get closer to that other unit right. with, the, with those models within three inches. Okay. Right. That's what I was asking for. That follow-up hit that mm. you did to me was really devastating. So, I mean, this is very, very powerful. Yeah. The, the combination of these things, plus some of the stuff that already exists in the Nurgle book, mm-hmm. you can kind of accelerate the power curve on some really, uh, what we'll call it, mediocre profiles. Mm-hmm. And when you take it into account with this next hero, the Spoilpox Scrivener, and his ability, which we'll talk about in just a second, you'll see where that curve takes really a ramp up. Okay. So the Spoilpox Scrivener is four inch move, five up save, five wounds, bravery 10. He's a Nurgle Plague Bearer hero, same as before. He has his disgusting sneezes, range six inches, D6 attacks, twos by fours, no ren, damage one, and his distended maw, which is a two inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, ren one, damage two. Mm-hmm. Is fine, is respectable. He has the disgustingly resilient, as all Nurgle demons do. But he has keep counting, I'm watching you. Mm -hmm. At the start of the combat phase, you can say that this model will call for one count. If you do so, pick one friendly Plague Bearer keyworded unit. Mm -hmm. So Plague Drones have this. Mm -hmm. Plague Bearers have this. And actually, these two characters have the Plague Bearer keyword. Okay. Wholly within 14 inches of this model and pick one of the following counts for that unit to carry out. The effect of that count lasts until the end of that phase. A unit cannot carry out more than one count per phase. I love the fact that they can't stack the individual things here. Mm -hmm. But you can stack across the different heroes. So for instance, tally of blows add one to the attacks characteristics of melee weapons used by a unit carrying out this count. You can give plus two attacks to units from just these two characters, or you can give plus one and mortal wounds, mm-hmm. or the next one, studied lacerations, improve the Ren characteristics of melee weapons used by a unit carrying out this count by one. So now you can have an extra attack and extra rend, or recorded stamina, add one to the save rolls for attacks that target a unit carrying out this count. So you're a four up save on your plague bearers with your five up save after the fact. So if your opponent doesn't have any rends, you get to be even more durable than you were sure. to begin with. Yep. So Very nice. Both of those are really powerful. They can make a big difference. The, the combinations of these two is pretty key. They clock in at a relatively affordable cost of 140 and 150 each. Mm-hmm. They have kind of a misunderstood durability with that five up, you know, save after the fact, even though they are five wounds. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about a 33% just base, regardless of your rend, more wounds than you had been expecting previously. Okay. We got a War Scroll update on the Beasts of Nurgle. Yeah. If you want to talk about that, Dan. Sure. So Beasts, now 5-inch move, 8 wounds, 5-up save, 10 bravery. They have two things going on. They have the Clawed Limbs, 1-inch, 4 attacks, 4 by 3, minus 1, 2 damage. And then they have Tentacles and a Tongue, 1-inch, D6 attacks, 4-up, 3-up, 
no rend, one damage. Of course, disgustingly resilient. Acid slime trails. Before this unit makes a retreat move, roll a dice for each enemy unit within three inches on a four up that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Now, instead of having three separate units of one, you would that, want three units of one. Three units so you could roll three D3. Yes. Yep. Or you want the ability to. Right. And then on your four up, you get that gut. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So attention seekers is the other one. This unit can run and or retreat and still charge later in the same turn. In addition, when this unit retreats, it can pass across other models in the same manner as a model that can fly. Yeah, so it can retreat and charge or run and charge. Well, it can do both. It can yeah, run, it could retreat, do. and charge. Yeah, it's crazy. Pestilent battering rams. After a model from this unit finishes a charge move, roll a dice for each enemy unit within one inch of the model. On a two-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. If this unit has more than one model, roll to determine if mortal wounds are inflicted after each model finishes its charge move. But do not allocate the mortal wounds until all of the models in the unit have finished their charge moves. Okay. At eight wounds... With a five up, five up. These guys could be, I mean, God, it's pretty good. I, I like this. I really like them as a unit you can summon. Yep. Where you can use it late game, further upfield, because they are still quite slow mm -hmm. at five inch move. Now you, you can run and charge, but even on the top end, you're talking about an 11 inch move. Right. Now it can benefit from move buffs on the wheel for plus two or the bell mm -hmm. for another plus three uh, but that's your whole army your whole army can go from slow to pretty quick relatively easily and then everybody technically has the ability to run and charge if you are slingshotting around one of the sure. narwhals and they have a fair amount of attacks i mean on average they got seven attacks on average yeah it's the it's the chip damage mortal wounds that i mm -hmm. think is where you're going to get the most mileage out of it the ability sure. to run and retreat through units to get further upfield to maybe tie down some shooting units is quite a nice prize to have in a war scroll. So, mm -hmm. And then we get the battalion, the Invidian Plague Host, yeah. where you get all of the models you wanted anyways. So <laughs> it's one named Sloppity Biopiper, one named Spoilpox Scrivener, and two Plague Bearer units. The ability you get is a Bulwark of Flesh. The first time a Plague Bearer's unit from this battalion is destroyed, a new Plague Bearer's unit with 10 models is added to your army. Set up that unit wholly within your territory, wholly within six inches of the edge of the battlefield, and then more than nine inches from enemy units. Okay. okay. And then the command trait is, if the name Sloppity Biopiper is your general, he must have this command trait, Rude Limericks, instead of any of the ones from the battle tome. Sure. And so this one is, Add one of the bravery characteristics of Nurgle Demon units from this battalion while they're wholly within 14 inches of the Sloppity Biopiper from this battalion, in addition to the modifier from the Disease of Mirth ability. All right. Okay. Yeah. It, sorry. I think it serves its own kind of unique function. I know one of your questions to me yesterday was how this, you know, plays versus a tally band. And... Yeah, this, just why I would take this versus the tally band. It costs less to run right. this versus a tally band. Sure. A at minimum cost, it costs mm -hmm. less to, to do this. Right. So if you have a really specific need mm -hmm. uh, and you are okay with having some named characters in your army, sure. Tally band is probably better mm -hmm. uh, in the scope of it, but of its own merit, you have, its, you have this own war scroll where you are going to be getting, at minimum, a free unit if your opponent can get through one of your units of Plague Bearers. And what you probably want to do with that is try and have them kill a 10-man versus a 30-man. Sure. Right. That makes sense. And just replace it. Sure. Exactly. Yep. And then, so next, we have half of a battle tome to yes, talk we about. Do. We do. 
Luminous Realm Lords Part 2. Okay, so where should we start? We'll start with the Allegiance abilities. The Allegiance abilities are exactly the same. <laughs> because they're the same. Yeah. And you can, in the purchase of your army, you can buy... If you have the original Luminous Realm Lords Battle Tome mm-hmm. and this, you can squish them together and make one Battle Tome. Mm-hmm. Or the current Luminous Realm Lords book includes both of those of in course. one place. Yeah. The rules for Venari are still the same. The command traits and the artifacts are mm-hmm. all still the same. The Cathalars thing is the same. One thing that has changed here is under Lumineth Great Nations, we've got instead of just four, we have six now. And we're going to talk about the new... The two new ones. Yes, we did get two new ones. Alumnia and Helon. We're going to talk about those two. For the other four, again, they are the same. 54. We're not going to talk about those again. The rule for the Cathalar is pretty much the same. Lightning reactions, all those things. And Aether Quartz, that's all the same mechanic as it was before. So again, refer to 54. It's timestamped. So jump right in there and listen to that before or after this. So Shining Company is all the same. Yes, your command traits and your artifacts, you can leave them as are. The Sonari have uh, something new. They are deep thinkers now. <laughs> okay. At the start of your hero phase, you can pick any friendly Sonari wizards and declare instead of casting any spells in that phase, they will contemplate. I you like can, this. You can have some contemplate while others attempt to cast spells. If you do so in your next hero phase, when a friendly Sonari wizard that contemplated in your last hero phase attempts to cast its first spell in the current hero phase, it is automatically cast with a casting roll of a 9 that cannot be modified, do not roll 2d6, but it can be unbound. I mean, that's still, that's a pretty high roll. You're going to have to roll a 10 or better to beat that. And that's really good. I mean, you're not taking, you're eliminating a chance. You're eliminating something that's not reliable and making it 100% reliable in terms of casting it. Um, Now, it may get unbound, but still, that's, I like that a lot. I like that change, especially for an army that's got a lot of magic, so. Yes. And so they get command traits and artifacts, and, you know, it's, it's these tables of three. So, Dan, Sonari General's command traits, any of these you really like? Yeah, I like the Spellmaster. Uh, once in each, of your, in each of your hero phases, you can re-roll a failed casting roll for this general. Now, my question about that one is, so the casting roll itself mm. isn't affected by whether it's unbound or bound, right? Or unbound or not. So, in other words, if I have a spell that has a requirement of seven, mm-hmm. and I contemplate, I've got a nine, so it automatically goes off. Yeah. So, this wouldn't affect something like that. This cool. would only affect if I rolled a really low number. Yes, this so, only affects your dice rolls. Okay, so, but I still like that one because, again, a magic-focused army, this makes sense that you get another chance to get something off. Yeah, especially if the scenario is your general, right? right. I agree. I think that's the one I like the most as well. It creates yeah. a sense of reliability. I don't think that these models are going to be your general, no. but <laughs> yeah. in the event that they are. Uh, and then you have your artifacts of power. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of the silver wand. The mm. bearer can attempt to cast one extra spell in your hero phase. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for me, the, just like with the last ones where he had to pick the blade of leaping gold, I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Pick one of the bearer's melee weapons, add three to the attack characteristics. Woof. Man, get the right person lined up. That's... That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Combat, combat wizards is not is my not, favorite thing. Yeah. So we, in terms of new things here, we got a new temple, the Temple of the Wind, yep. the Huracan yep. Temple. Mm-hmm. And so their ability, just like you have the mountain stance to ignore rend up to a certain value, you have for the Huracans, move like the wind. When you make a pylon move with a Hurricane model, 
It does not have to finish the move at least as close to the nearest enemy model, which means you can pile out. Yes. In addition, when you make a pile and move with a hurricane model, if it made a charge move in the same turn, it can fly and can move an extra three inches when it piles in. Wow. This doesn't mean that you can pile in from six inches away. Right. But it does mean that you can pile in six inches as long as you meet the criteria for activating. Okay. And you can use it to pile out or towards something else. Sure. That's really great. Yeah. Uh, and then command traits, what did you pick? We have three. Yeah, so these are for wind mage generals only. Mm-hmm. So not just things that have the hurricane keyword. I don't know. The grand wind rider, you replace this general's wind leap ability with if a wi- friendly wind charger's unit starts a holy, holy within 24 inches of this general, when it makes that move, that unit has a move characteristics of 16 and can fly. Okay. Yeah, that could be pretty useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wind chargers aren't the super most amazing war scrolls we'll talk about in a little no. bit, but they are really fast, and the ability to make them faster and to be able to go different places is To make is them helpful. really annoying. Mm-hmm. So I picked that one as well. Okay. How about for the artifacts? The buffeting. Yes. Asparagulum. Yep. Roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to the bearer. On a five up, that wound or mortal wound is negated. Lumineth Realm Lords get disgustingly resilient. Yes. <laughs> kind of. Disgustingly windy. Yeah, there you go, yeah. We get a new Hurricane spell lore. So okay. Teclas and Hurricane Wizards can pull from this lore. Mm-hmm. Teclas knows all the spells. So, Dan, what were your two out of this one? Well, you probably won't be surprised that I like transporting Vortex as yep. much as I like being able to move things around the board. I play Kalebron, you know, my Night Haunt. So, transporting Vortex has a casting value of eight, so it's tough to get off unless you're contemplating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If successfully cast, pick one friendly Lumineth Realm Lords unit within 12, and it has to be wholly within 12, of the caster invisible to them. Remove that unit from the battlefield and set it up again anywhere in the battlefield more than nine inches from an enemy unit. Very useful. Yeah. Very, very useful for grabbing objectives or putting a unit somewhere where it's going to force your enemy to pay attention to them, or before they could have just said, nah, I'm going to leave those guys alone. Uh, put them somewhere where they can be useful. I like uh, Howling Gale. That's the other one I really like. So Howling Gale is a casting value of 7. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within 12 inches. The caster is visible to them. That unit cannot use or benefit from command abilities. Whoa! Until your next hero phase. And you pair that with the other spell <laughs> where it costs two points to spend command abilities anyways and your opponent just sits there and goes why i'll just save this point for next turn yeah (laughs) that's really good i I like that a lot so i agree so howling gale was my first pick okay i was torn between these next two so i'll pick one of them and i really like this one with teclas is the burning simum okay it has a casting value of a six. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within 12 inches of the caster that's visible to them and roll a number of dice equal to the number of models in that unit. Oof. For each six, it suffers one mortal wound. If the casting roll was 10 or more, the unit suffers one mortal wound for each five up instead of each six. Now, doesn't Teclas have a deal where he can... He auto-casts four spells on tens. Right. So all of a sudden, boom, five ups. Yep. Some big unit, pop. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Brutal. Horde buster. Brutal. Really brutal. Okay. Lumineth got their terrain piece. Yes. And I never want to hear complaining from anybody ever again about how busted the terrain is for Osiarch Bone Reapers. Yeah. Because this is dumb. (laughs) When you choose the Lumineth Realm Wards army, you can include one Shrine Luminor terrain feature. Mm -hmm. After territories have been chosen, but before armies are set up, you can set up the Shrine Luminor. Hold within your territory more than one inch away from any other terrain and more than six inches from where any objectives will be located at the start of the first battle round. 
Mm-hmm. If both players can set up, you roll off. It is a garrison. Garrison of a Shrine Luminor can be a single Lumineth Realmward hero that is not a monster, thank God, and does mm-hmm. not have a mount. The garrison is referred to as the Terrain Features, Shrine Guardian, and the following rules. Cleansing Ritual. Once per turn, you can reroll one casting, dispelling, or unbinding roll for a friendly Lumineth Realmward's <laughs> hero as within 12 inches of this terrain feature. From the second battle round in your hero phase, if this uh, terrain feature has a Shrine Guardian, you can say that they will channel the Shrine's power. If you do so, add 12 inches to the range of this ability. Oh, Brenda, I'm going to stop you for a second here. So once per turn, you can reroll one casting, dispelling, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've also got the command trait that allows once in each of your hero phases, you can reroll one failed casting roll. But you can't reroll a reroll. Correct. So you'd have to use that two, those two separate Well, right. The things. one would have to be on the general. Right. And then this could be any of your right. casters that but are you in couldn't, range. But you couldn't roll twice. Right. Okay. Thankfully, it has to be a hero because all of your units are effectively casters. Yes. So it's good that they can't benefit from this. Yes. But from the second battle round on, it's a 24-inch ability as opposed to a 12-inch ability. Whew. Wow. The Shrine Guardian, once per turn, you can use a command ability with this terrain feature Shrine Guardian without a command point being spent. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so, you know, just 250 free points worth of rules. Yeah, God. Piece of cake, Dan. That still means you can hand out immune to battle shock. It still means you can hand out free run rolls. It, it still means you can mm-hmm. hand out reroll charges. It's 250 free points, but it's not even just that. It's once per turn, so it's in your opponent's turn as well. Yep. So that's 500 free points worth of command points. That's insane. That's crazy. Assuming a value of 50 points per command point. Agreed. Because that's what you can purchase. It does That's the going rate of command points. Yeah, it has valuation. Sure it does. Okay. Dan, it's a free piece of terrain that lets you spend up to 500 points worth of command points. Okay. (laughs) Now, granted, you can kill the target in there, but it is a garrison, so they're minus one to be hit and plus one save. So so we have two sub-factions here. The Great Nation of... Illumina and Helon. Which one of the two do you want to talk about? Helon, I think. Okay. I'll let you talk about Illumina. Illumina, the ability is claim the field. After armies are set up before the first battle round begins, up to three friendly Illumina, Venari, or Sonari units can make a normal move but cannot run. That's pretty good. It basically allows you to take your Shining Company stuff and start your movement towards objectives earlier. Since you're not able to run or charge in Shining Company, the fact that you can close that distance a little bit more is is quite nice. Okay. The command trait for your general is the Burning Gaze. At the start of the combat phase, you pick one enemy unit within three inches of this general and visible to them. You roll a dice on a two-up. The enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Command ability. <laughs> seize the moment. You can use this command ability in your charge phase. If you do so, pick one friendly Illumina unit that ran in that turn. That unit can charge in that charge phase. Run in charge. You're spending a point for it, but that's, you know... That's well, decent. you're not spending a point for stuff that you do on the shrine, so why not? <laughs> right, exactly. This is a good point of that, where there is no range to it. It's just your guardian is like, hey, yeah. that unit ran. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're spending your free command point, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Artifact of power. The Illumina hero receives the Waystone, and the Waystone is once per battle in your movement phase. Instead of making a normal move with the bearer, you can pick on the point of the battlefield within 12 inches of them. If you do so, remove the bearer from the battlefield and set them up again one inch away from that point, more than three inches away from any enemy units. Okay. So it wouldn't be a retreat move, and it would be a way to let you reposition upfield or downfield or behind something. That's pretty all right. The command trait is garbage, but the rest of the three rules there are... Pretty awesome. Pretty good, yeah. Okay. 
So next we have Helon, and the ability is Gale of Killing Shafts. Add one to the attack characteristic of missile weapons used by Helon models that were within three inches of an enemy unit. Command trait, Helon General must have this command trait. Skygrace Grand Champion, once per battle, reroll one run roll, one charge roll, and one casting roll for this general. So all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Keeping track of which one you've spent is an important bookkeeping thing for players. But I know somebody who will be really good at that, and that's Christian. He's yeah. great at keeping track of everything that goes on with his army. He's got stacks of tokens and stuff. I love him for that. That's just great. Except <laughs> however many turns you've taken. <laughs> yeah, the, that's me. That's yeah. not me. And now I have a thing to do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So the command ability is gone like the wind. You can use this command ability at the end of the combat phase. If you do so, pick one friendly Helon unit that fought in that phase. is wholly within 12 inches of a friendly Helon hero. That unit can make a normal move, but it cannot run. It can retreat. Okay. So you can retreat after combat. That's good. Yeah. It's all right. Artifact of Power, the first Helon hero has to receive this. It's called Metalith Dust. Once per battle, at the start of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within three inches of the bearer. If you do so, subtract one from hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made by that unit until the end of the phase. Okay, good. I like that. In this, I get, obviously, it's focused on in the picture here and all that. I think it would be focused on archers that still have the ability to engage in melee. I mean, it seems like that's kind of what it is. Yeah, and I think this is really mostly for the wind chargers. Yep. Is what it's built around. Makes sense. And because those are the units that are most likely going to be locked into combats that are hopefully going to be winnable for them. Mm -hmm. As opposed to if your sentinels are in combat, this is really just kind of an extra hopeful defensive moment where maybe, just maybe... And just for clarification, the wind chargers are the kangaroos. They're the yes. the mounted archers. So, is what yes, they are. they are the mounted archers. Okay, fair enough. All right, we got some war scrolls. We do have some war scrolls. We have the mega battalion, of well, course. Let's let's hold oh. off on the battalions for just a second, okay? Because oh yeah, right, all right. like basically all of these include new war scrolls. Okay, that so that maybe some of you have never heard about. So let's talk about war scrolls. Yes, <laughs> let's move on to war scrolls, and then mm-hmm. we'll come back and do battalions. Yeah. Okay, so we have a named character. Why don't you talk about... Yeah, so Lirier Uthral is the Warden of Eumetrica, <laughs> and, he's T- and he's Tyrion's guy. So he's movement 16, 3 up save, bravery 9, 6 wounds. He has a missile weapon, Demon Bane, 18-inch range, 1 attacks, 2s by 2s, Ren 2, damage D3. Mm-hmm. And he has 3 melee profiles, one of which is Demon Bane. Range 3 inches, 1 attacks, 2s by 2s, Ren 2, damage D3. He's got his sword, one inch range, five attacks, five attacks. Oh. twos by threes, rend one, damage one, and the horns and claws from his mount, one inch range, four attacks, threes by fours, no rend, damage one. The demon bane, as one might expect, that if the target is a chaos demon, it does three damage instead of d3. And so the demon bane is both a melee and a missile weapon. Correct. Okay. Yeah, so that's... At least it's reliable, right? It's only one tack, but at least it's reliable. Yep, absolutely. He has the purest of Aether Quartz. Subtract one from hit rolls for attacks that target this model and add one to casting rolls when it attempts to cast Greater Power of Hyish. And if this model is part of Illumineth Realm Lord's army and uses its last Aether Quartz reserve, the ability cannot be used by this model for the rest of the battle. Okay. He has Sun Metal Weapons, which means that on his Regent Sword, six is to hit, inflict a mortal wound, and the attack sequence ends. Yep. He has the voice of Tyrion. If this model is part of your army and on the battlefield, and Teclis is not part of your army, you roll a dice, and on a two-up, you receive a command point. That's pretty reliable. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's a one-cast, one-unbind wizard with the spell 
Greater Power of Hayish with a casting value of 7. You can pick up to D3 friendly Lumineth Realm Wards units with the Sun Metal Weapons ability. Which is many of them. <laughs> it's basically all of them, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wholly within 18 inches of this caster. Until your next phase, the Sun Metal Weapons ability of those units causes mortal wounds to be inflicted on unmodified rolls of 5 instead of 6. Yeah. And he is keyword locked into Yometrica. Okay. Pretty decent. And then you have the foot version of him, which is exactly the same, except he is movement 14 and bravery 8 instead of 16 and 9. Does not have demon bane. The rest of it is identical in that regard. He has the purest of aether quartz. He has sun metal weapons. And he also has the greater power of Hayish, which is exactly the same. And just isn't keyword locked. Dan, you want to talk about the banner banner dude? Yeah, banner blade. So, six inches, move, five wounds, three up save, three up save, nice, and eight bravery, one sword, which is one inch range, four attacks, two by threes, minus one ren, one damage. The world banner, add one to bravery characteristics of friendly Lumineth Realm Lords units that are wholly within 18, add three instead of one if any of those units is within three inches of an enemy unit. Well, you're going to be using your... Bravery and battle shock checks if you're in combat or you're losing models in, in a lot of cases. So yeah, this but is this like, guy's got to right, be in range. Right, though. agreed, agreed. But still, that's pretty good. Much more reliable in terms of bravery. Adding three to bravery, it's like, wow. In addition, once per battle at the start of any phase, any phase, you can say this model will draw on the power of its world banner. If you do, roll a dice for each enemy unit within 18 inches of this model. If the roll is equal to or less than the number of the current battle round, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds and subtract one from hit rolls for that unit. Okay? Until the end of the phase. Yep, end of the phase. And then some metal weapons, again, if you if you roll a six to hit, it's one mortal wound. Mm-hmm. How about the ballistas, man? Nice. Because we yeah. got a battalion that... Yes, there is, there is a battalion that, that helps them, out the ballistas. Makes them ugly. <laughs> They're already pretty good to begin with, so... Yeah. The ballistas are a six-inch move, like you're going to be moving them. Five-up save, bravery six, five wounds. With the range they have. Right. Their star shard bolts are range 30 inches, two attacks apiece, threes by threes, ren two, damage d3. Ooh, God. And then the crew have one-inch range swords, two attacks, threes by fours, no ren, damage one. They have blinding bolts. Once per battle, when you pick this unit to shoot, you can say it will fire its blinding bolts. If you do so, units that are hit by an attack made by this unit in that phase are dazzled until the end of the turn. Subtract one from hit rolls for a unit that is dazzled. A unit cannot be dazzled more than once per turn. Okay, so Brennan, question. A lot of Lumineth units can get minus one to hit. Sure. Okay, as I've experienced, as I've played them a couple times. They're minus, so I'm attacking somebody and I am blinding bolted. I'm blinded. Yes. Am I then minus two if that unit already has minus one to hit? Yes. Okay. Yep. This is stackable then. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Well, so this is stackable with other things, but you cannot blind a unit multiple times. Right. But it's still stackable with if that unit already has a minus one to hit because they did something with ether quartz or whatever it is. Yes. Okay. Yep. Agreed. So it has a messenger hawk. At the start of your shooting phase, you can okay. pick one enemy unit within 24 inches of a friendly Realm Wards hero and pick one friendly Star Shard Ballista unit within 24 inches of that hero. So you have to draw, you know, a bit of a triangle here. If you do so, add one to hit rolls for attacks made by that Star Shard Ballista unit that target that enemy unit until the end of that phase. God, it's the two up, three up then. Mm-hmm. And then you have warding lanterns. Roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to this unit. If it has not made a move in the same turn, 
On a six, that wound or mortal wound is negated. In addition, add one to the attack's characteristics of this unit's star shard bolts if it has not made a move in the same turn. <laughs> That's insane. Three attacks mm-hmm. at two up, three up, minus two ran D3 damage. Yeah. Wow. That's really good, Brendan. Yes, they're That's really good. They're pretty all right, I guess. They are artillery, so and they are units of max size one. So, yeah, and they're a hundred apiece. So you can only have maximum four of these mm-hmm. in the present state of the game. So you're not going to run across an opponent who's sitting there with like twelve of them. Right. There is a finite limit. This to isn't them. speaking of this isn't forty k where you can do that. Correct. Yeah, okay. All right. But still, 43 with all this stuff going on, that's pretty good. And they're very, very reliable, Brennan. That's what's crazy. So the Blade Lords, I love these guys. Love them. Like, great stuff. So six inch move, two wounds, four up save, seven bravery. They have a Sun Metal Great Blade, and you're going to end up choosing between these two attacks. So both two inch range. One is one attack, and we'll talk about the hit. Two up to wound, minus two uh, rend, one damage, or the flurry of blades, which is two inches again. Number of attacks depends. It's three up, three up, no rend, and one damage. And then some metal dual blades, which is one inch, three attacks, two by threes, minus one, one damage. So you have the Blade Lord Seneschal. One model in this unit can be a Seneschal. That model is armed with the great blade or the dual blades. Add one to the attack characteristics of the great blade. If it has a great plan. Guardians, roll a dice before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to a friendly Sonari model within three inches of any friendly units with this ability. On a two-up, you must allocate that wound or mortal wound to a friendly unit with this ability within three inches of that model instead of that model. Okay, bodyguards. Cool. Swordmasters. Before fighting with this unit, choose either Perfect Strike or Flurry of Blades. Some metal great blade weapons characteristics. All of the models in that unit with armed with some metal great blades must use these characteristics when they attack perfect strike always hits you don't make it that's really good so perfect strike always hits of course you only get one attack but a flurry of blows if you do that the attack characteristic is equal to the number of enemy models within two inches of the attacking model that could be a lot of models man that could be a lot yeah wow either very reliable or if you're against hordes just start sweeping your blades and you're gonna have multiple of these guys too it's not just one guy and then you have the banners each time this unit is affected by a spell or endless spell you can roll a dice if you do so on a four up they ignore the effects of that spell whoosh nice so bring your snake man come on daughters bring that snake (laughs) i don't care (laughs) yeah so i think this is an interesting unit i think they end up being too expensive points wise and money wise to justify bringing in your army because you have mm-hmm. things that do similar stuff for mm-hmm. really a better price. I mean, they're five for 120. And when I think about some other, I'm going to say, you know, elite units, but my Blade Geist or my Herodons, they're 90 points for five. And that's a pretty big difference. You know, that's what, one third more for these guys? Well, these yeah. guys are also two wounds. So that's two wounds, right. Yeah, I don't know. 120 points for five of them for 10 wounds. It doesn't seem too bad, honestly. No, it, it's not egregious, but I think they really suffer from a, a just not good enough okay. kind of space in the book where you have other things that do other stuff and you would much rather have those things. Sure. Because it's not even really like a combat unit. Right. It's a unit that just does some damage. Well, and you could use this to suck up wounds, obviously, for 120 points. You could spend that, and it's 10 wounds worth of stuff. And it's a friendly Sonari model, right? Mm-hmm. So if somebody, you could use this on your blisters if you wanted to keep your blisters around longer, if somebody was doing something no, to them. No, because they don't have the right keyword. 
Sonari. Yes. So Sonari are typically the hero. Yeah, that's it. Yep, because they don't have that keyword. All right. Never mind. Never mind, Dan. (laughs) All right, go ahead. Why don't you talk about the Calgrave for us? Yeah, so the Calgrave is one of the new heroes, Mm -hmm. which has the Sonari keyword. Speaking Uh, of which. (laughs) (laughs) Strange timing. It's a six-inch move, five-up save, bravery seven, five wounds. He's got his Calgrave blade, three-inch range, D3 attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage D3. That's pretty good. Pretty yeah, good combat with your here. Nice. The Realm Scribe, once per battle in your hero phase, instead of attempting to cast any spells with one friendly model with this ability, you can roll a dice, add the number of the current battle round to the roll, on a 5+, plus, pick a point anywhere on the battlefield for the rest of the battle. Do not take Battleshock tests for friendly Lumineth Realm Lord units that are wholly within 9 inches of that point, and add 1 to casting and dispelling and unbinding rolls for friendly Lumineth, Lumineth Realm Lord wizards that are within 9 inches of that point. Okay. That's neat. He is a one-cast, one-unbind wizard, mm-hmm. and his native spell, Erasure... Yeah, explain has, this one, because I read through it a couple of times, and I'm trying to figure out yeah. what's going on with that. It's a little confusing. So it has a casting value of a 7. If successfully cast, pick one enemy hero within 24 inches of the caster. You can either inflict D3 wounds on that hero, or mark them for Erasure. However, if that hero is already marked for Erasure, then instead they suffer D6 mortal wounds and they are no longer marked for Erasure. You can do D3 mortal wounds. Yes. Or you can try and cast this again at them later and do D6. So once they're marked, they're marked until you do the D6 mortal wounds. Until you cast it on them again and you do D6 mortal wounds and then it comes off. Okay, got it. Okay, that makes sense. So then... Next up, you have the Lore Seeker, which gotcha. thankfully the FAQ for this one has come out, so I'll clarify something here real quick before you talk about it. Okay. The Scenari Lore Seeker has the unique note in the pitch battle profile. The question was, is it intended that this is a named character for rules purposes and therefore cannot have a command trait and artifact? And the answer to that is yes. So the Scenari Lore Seeker is a named character. Okay. So you can only have one of them. Correct. Okay. And they cannot have a command trait or an artifact. Okay. All right. So the Lore Seeker, six inch move, six wounds, four up save, eight bravery. Eclipsian Staff is 12 inch range, two attacks, three by threes, minus two rend, D3 damage. And then the melee weapon is one inch, four attacks, two by threes, minus one, D3 damage. So both of those are pretty reliable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the Lore Seeker ability. If an enemy model that bears an artifact, a power is slain within three inches of any friendly models with this ability, you receive a command point. Okay, cool. You can add one to save rolls. This is lone agent. You can add one to save rolls for attacks that target this model if it is more than nine inches from any friendly model. So you got a three up save on this guy. Nice. In addition, instead of setting up this model on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say it is set up as a lone agent reserve unit. If you do so at the start of the first battle round before determining who has first turn, you must set up this model on the battlefield anywhere more than three inches. Three inches. Wow. Yes. From an enemy. That's really good. Set up this model on the battlefield anywhere that's more than three inches from any enemy units and not in your territory. If you set up this model within six inches of an objective that has no enemy units within six inches, you gain control of that objective. Ooh, that's really good too. And your opponent cannot gain control of it while this model is within six inches. So I guess your opponent's going to have to kill this sucker. All right. Um, it's a wizard and it can cast, uh, has one cast and one unbind, and it knows Arcane Bolt and Mystic Shield. As well as or whatever lore spell it is. It doesn't have a native spell on its, it's war, war scroll. scroll. I'm really grateful that you can only have one of these. Yo, gosh, can you imagine jumping all over the place and having like three of these things pop up all over? Oh my gosh, that be well the thing that i think is more important is that this one pops up on the objective it holds Mm -hmm. it yeah and then what you can do is you can swing units 
in front of the lore seeker to keep it safe for the whole of the battle and there's nothing your opponent can do like think of these missions that are just body count Hmm. right where it's not heroes that take it it's just stuff that takes it you could Mm -hmm. have 60 grats on this objective if this guy was here first you have it Mm. if he's within six inches Mm -hmm. This is one of those rules that I would definitely want to make sure as a Lumineth player that you explain to your opponent what it means. Yep. And then if after you have explained it, they choose to deploy in a manner that lets you do that, mm-hmm. so be it. Why don't you talk about the twins here? Yes. So also FAQ-wise, they do not have the Yometrica keyword. They have the Iliatha keyword. Okay. They're not from Yometrica. They are okay. from somewhere else. Okay. They are a 6-inch move, 3-up save, bravery 8, 8-wound eight model. It's, it's really two models on one base. They have three weapon profiles. The Altiari, which is one inch range, four attacks, twos by threes, Ren two, with a damage of C below, which, <laughs> okay. which is pretty good. The Dianir, which is one inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, Ren one, damage D3. And the Moonbright Talons, which is one inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, Ren one, damage one. They have the Aspect of Salinar, add one to casting, dispelling, and unbinding rolls. They are Realm Wanderers. This unit can be included as an ally in armies that have an Order General. In addition, if this model is within three inches of your general, at the start of your hero phase, roll a dice, and on a four-up, you receive one extra command point. However, this model can never be a general. Still, that's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So then, Altiari. The damage characteristics of Altiari is equal to the number of the current battle round. Battle round one, it's it's one damage. In battle round three, it's three. And in battle round five, it's five. It's, yeah. Interesting. Very different. In addition, once per battle in your shooting phase, you can declare that Elethor will unleash a blazing sunbolt. If you do so, pick one point on the battlefield within 12 inches of this model that is visible to it and draw an imaginary straight line one millimeter wide between the point and the closest point to this model's base. Roll a dice for each unit that has any models passed across by this line. On a two-up, that unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the number of the current battle round. Okay. No. So you want these guys sticking around a while? Because they're much more powerful the longer For maximum damage, right, you have to know when the right time is to use this. Okay. It's also only an eight-wound character. and Targets of opportunity is what you're talking about. Exactly, yes. Okay. So if you have the ability to, you know, in the third battle round, draw a line and do enough wounds to a hero to pull it off, or, you know, kill a unit that has one of your units that you want to be charging tied up, you do that. Yeah. They also have sudden translocation. At the end of the combat phase, roll a dice if this model fought in that phase. If the roll is less than the number of the current battle rounds or less than the number of wounds allocated to this model, heal up to D6 wounds allocated to this model and remove it from the battlefield. (laughs) Then set up this model anywhere on the battlefield that is more than 12 inches from any enemy models. If it is impossible, this model is removed from play but does not count as having been slain. True. Chances of that happening are not... Yeah, this is a relatively small base. Sure. You should be able to put it somewhere. But that is a key element to if this model were to capture an objective and be the capturing hero in places of arcane power, Mm -hmm. you can send that model away and they would no longer be scoring that objective. This is a two-cast, two-unbind wizard. Their base spell, Salvation of Hayish, has a casting value of six. If successfully cast until your next hero phase, roll a dice each time a wound or mortal wound is allocated to the caster. On a five-up, that wound or mortal wound is negated. Very nice. It's all right. Yeah. Hey, you always love that. Any other comments on this? It's interesting. I don't know how much it's going to make it into lists. Mm-hmm. Just because... For what it is and what it does... 260 points. Yeah, it's kind of points-heavy, right? So you are getting a combat and a caster, because it is really two models on roll and on one base. 
I'm thinking if you're going to spend the points, I personally I'd rather spend it on um, the the Tyrion hero that we talked about at the beginning mm-hmm. because that's only 210 points and that Tyrion hero does a lot. Yeah. So I mean, if I had to make a choice, two sixty versus two ten. Yeah, I guess it depends on how you build your army and what you're looking to do. It's a really cool model that does really cool stuff. So from that regards, you can feel good about having it. Sure. From a building out a list competitively perspective, I'm not entirely sure what you totally gain here by having just this one model as opposed to building out two individual models of yeah. some kind. Okay. So let's take a break, Brendan, mm-hmm. because we've talked about the Venari stuff. We'll take a break and then we'll come back with the wind, guys. Alright. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. And we are back. Awesomeness. So, one of the new characters we have and this is for the Hurricane Temple, is the Hurricane Wind Mage, who is a 16-inch move, 5-up save, bravery 7, 5 wounds, and he is mounted on a little cloud, Very cool. so he can fly. He has the Asperagillum. Oh, Lord. I hope that's right. It's a melee weapon, 3-inch range, 2 attacks, 3s by 3s, Ren minus 1, D3 damage. Yep. He's armed with the Fan of Redirection. <laughs> You add one to the save rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target this model. In addition, if the unmodified save roll for an attack made with a missile weapon that targets this model is a six, after all attacking units' attacks have been resolved, you can inflict one mortal wound on one enemy unit within nine inches of this model that is visible to it. So he Hmm. knocks it out of the sky at somebody else. Okay. There you go. Yeah. That's cool that he adds one to his save roll, so that's very good. Yeah, and then he has Wind Leap. If a friendly Wind Chargers unit starts a move wholly within 6 inches of this model, when it makes that move, that unit has a move characteristics of 16 inches and can fly. Okay. So one cast, one unbind wizard with a native spell of Wind Blast Volley. Casting value of 5, if successfully cast, in your next shooting phase, you can pick one enemy unit within 9 inches of the caster and roll a dice. On a 2-up, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. I mean, it's really reliable. Vortex is, what, a 5? Yeah, Yeah, five. It's, a, it's a 5, and the damage triggers in your shooting phase, so you have the opportunity to move into range of a target that you want to deal that damage to, potentially. Cool. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the fact that this guy is kind of, not really, but kind of support for the wind chargers, but he's, you know... There's so many times we get cavalry units that don't have supporting heroes that can move as fast as the cavalry. And that that really bothers me, and I love that they have this guy that can do that. He's moving as fast as they do. Right, and that's why you always hope for like a mounted version of yeah. every character, just yeah. so that they can pair up with those things. Yeah. And I agree. It's good that they have it. So it's really nice to see. So then we have the Wind Chargers, otherwise known as the Kangaroos. I say this because I played against them, and that's exactly what they look like. <laughs> the Wind Chargers are 14-inch move as opposed to 6 for the wind mage two wounds five up save bravery seven they have bows that have 12 inch range two attacks three by threes minus one rend one damage and in close combat they have two melee weapons the bow again three inch range it's pretty good because yeah, they're shooting at yeah, you that's true uh one attack three by threes minus two one so more rend if they're closer in and then the claws from the kangaroo is one inch two attacks three by fours no rend one damage we have the wind speaker seneschal one model and this unit can be a seneschal, add one to the attack characteristics of the bow. And then standard bearers, one in every five models can be a standard bear. You can reroll battle shock tests. For multi-wound units, this is a good thing. You want to be able to do that. Your bravery seven, and that's pretty light. Your yeah. five-up save, so stuff is going to die. All it takes is two to start having to test. Yeah. And even if you are running them in units of five, 
That's going to pop up quite a bit more than you probably are going to want. Yeah. So it's good to have that in your pocket. Abilities do not apply cover modifiers when they make attacks or when attacks are made with the bow. And then go where the wind blows. When this unit makes a move, it can pass across terrain features in the same manner as a model that can fly. Very nice. I really like the abilities that this unit has. Passing over terrain features if they can fly... That's cool. That's great. Mm -hmm. it, it helps make the most out of your movement. But I think the Wind Charger Arrows rule is a bit underrated mm -hmm. because it's for the Wind Charger Bow, which is both a missile and a combat weapon. Mm. So you are effectively negating a point of your save and then taking the extra swing back where you are applying at least one point of rend to what it is that you're doing. Sure. Then Makes when sense. you pair that with the Wind sub-faction where you're getting extra attacks with the bows here, there is some damage to really be had. Mm -hmm. And I guess even though they have more wounds, kind of comparing these to the Slaneshi shooting rider guys, I like these guys better for the points. I think overall, they just seem like a more, I don't know, effective unit, whatever it is. I, I don't know. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. So anyway, my personal experience with them was they were annoying but they weren't a whole lot to worry about because when I think about a unit of five, on average, they're going to be doing four or five wounds to my you know, four-up ethereal save. I'm not going to lose a lot of models from these guys. Probably not. But they're going to grab objectives. They're going to hold objectives. They're going to pick off units. They're going to pick off heroes, things like that. So yeah, they can be useful for sure. And then when you pair this with one of the new hurricane spells that we didn't talk about, you can add range to the bow or you can add plus one to hit on this your is, bow, potentially negating lookout sirs or any negatives that <clears throat> your opponent might be handing out. Which is really nice because the bow is only 12 inches. So it'd be nice to have more range. Mm -hmm. It really would. So I'm going to let you, we've got Two of essentially the same War Scroll. You're going to talk about the first guy, and then we're going to take the other version of him, the light version of him, mm -hmm. and talk about that. So why don't you talk about Severith? Yeah, so Severith uh, also had an FAQ that's important to talk about here. The Yometrica keyword on his War Scroll, forget about it. It doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. So this character is no longer sub-faction locked. Okay. Which is good. Really good. It is good. It's... it's yeah, as, as we'll talk about, it's really good. He is a little point heavy at 300 points, mm -hmm. but the 24-inch move, 5-up save, bravery 10, 10 wound. Excuse me? What did you just say about move? 24-inch move. That's insane. Yeah. Brendan, it's half the board. <laughs> it, but wait, there's more. 24 inches at the top of that little thing. It's like, what? <laughs> That's great. 10 wounds. The bow is 18-inch range. Four attacks, twos by threes, ren three, damage d3. That's yeah, really good. That's, yeah, that's all right. It's reliable and punchy. And then the bow in close combat is two attacks, twos by threes, ren two, damage d3. Mm -hmm. And then the wind that kicks up from around this character is three inch range, d3 attacks, threes by threes, ren one, damage one. This model can fly, obviously. They are the spirit of the wind in the same way that Avalonor is the spirit of the mountain. Yep. So into the gale, roll a dice each time you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to this model. On a five up, that wound or mortal wound is negated. Yep. Not bad. In addition, subtract two inches from the, enemy, from the distance enemy models can pile in to a minimum of one inch while they are within three inches of this model. Yeah, that's pretty good. If you got an enemy unit that's kind of stretched out, is going to rely on that three inch pile in, that's really good. Yeah. Minimize the amount of attacks they're going to take. Yes, Yep. very much so. Very nice. Then you have the Living Cyclone. Roll a dice for each enemy unit that is within three inches of this model after this model makes a charge move. On a three-up, that unit suffers one mortal wound and subtracts one from hit rolls Oof. for that unit 
until the end of the next combat phase. A unit cannot be affected by this ability more than once per phase. Scour, which is limited to Severeth specifically versus the unnamed version. At the start of the charge phase, you can pick one faction terrain feature that is within one inch of this model. If you do so, this model cannot charge in that phase, but you can roll a dice. And on two up, the scenery rules on that terrain feature's war scroll cannot be used for the rest of the battle. <coughs> you got any comments about that one, Dan? <laughs> That's... That's really good, Brenton. My God. Although it would make, if I knew that somebody else was taking that stupid shrine, I would make sure to take this guy and make sure I got close enough so that I could turn that thing off for the rest of the battle. It's like, done. It's a beautiful model. It's on the board, but it's not doing anything. Well, or you could just shoot the character (laughs) off of it. Right, yeah. It just... I think your OBR on me, it would turn off your... Yeah, it would turn that off. It could turn off a maw pot. The things like the trees. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it can turn off your ability to run and charge in Nurgle. It can turn off Sylvaneth trees being Sylvaneth trees. It could turn off corn there. Yeah. That pumps them up a lot. And they're using, and there's like trees and other things. And a lot of these armies are summoning points too. That's an interesting, you know, bit of conversation around it because technically only the thing that starts on the field is faction terrain. Anything past that, technically, technically, technically is not faction terrain and as i stall for time to open up my faq and realize that i haven't remembered reading it or not (laughs) i mean that's so powerful brendan that is so so powerful being able to turn off because i don't know that any army really relies and centralizes it builds around a terrain piece but i think terrain pieces are important as an overall part of how your army functions if you have such a thing. So being able to turn that off forces your opponent to make a lot of choices that they wouldn't have to otherwise because they're things they had automatically because the thing is just sitting on the board. Now they got to figure out how they're going to do that stuff without their terrain piece. Yeah, so technically, technically, technically. Yes. In the modern game of Age of Sigmar, mm-hmm. you have battlefield roles. Correct. Faction terrain. When you would summon it, it would not have its battlefield role. Oh. And has that been FAQ'd? It has not been. So it is then up to really the tournament organizer to rule how summoned faction terrain works versus this rule. So let's take corn. Or not corn. Let's take Nurgle. Mm -hmm. So they start with... With one. With one. Mm -hmm. That one you can turn off. Right now, as it stands. Absolutely, 100%, you can turn that one off with absolutely no rules argument. But if Slimex or somebody else summons another one, that one, at least as we understand it now, cannot be turned off. Maybe. Right, we're not sure. Right, so that would be up to the interpretation of the tournament organizer. But there's no fact or anything to clarify that. That's Not that I saw. Right, okay, so that is a TO's decision. Mm. Okay. All right. If you're a TO, you're going to have an event, what would you judge on this? I think you can turn them off. Okay. Because you can do this every turn. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't use the scenery battlefield role in the statements. Correct. It says that the faction terrain feature, which when you talk about faction terrain, right, has its own page in each of the books. Yep. That discusses on how it is that this thing works. Right. And that's the thing that I think is most important to, you know, so like here, the Shrine Luminor, one Shrine Luminor terrain feature, page 134 mm-hmm. or 131. It yeah. doesn't change that you can right. summon those. Those are still, well, you can't summon Shrine Luminors, but the right. Feculent Naromaws yep. are still faction terrain features. Sure. Very interesting. That's, 
It's very good. Technically, technically, technically. Yeah. You could see an interpretation in the opposite direction, and I would be fine with that. Yeah. Searing Desert wins. After this model makes a normal move, including if it moves at the end of the shooting phase, pick one enemy unit that has any models that this model passed across and roll a dice, and on a three up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. You move at 24 inches, there's a chance you're going to move <laughs> across something. Jeez. And that's interesting you bring that up, because... At the end of the shooting phase, this model can make a normal 12-inch move, but cannot run. It can retreat. In addition, this model can retreat and still charge later in the same turn. Mm-hmm. So you're a 24-inch move right now with a 12-inch move in the shooting phase, a 12-inch move in your opponent's shooting phase, because it's just the shooting, shooting phase. phase. Yeah. And it was FAQ'd to say that, yes, that's how that works. I agree. So that's, you know, pretty good. Plus, he is Hurricane, which means that they can make a 6-inch pylon move out of combat mm-hmm. so you can pile out so so you can charge in do your living cyclone pile out be unhit your opponent then you know tries to set up a charge and then in their shooting phase you move an extra 12 inches away <laughs> god and the last may the last rule with this is the wind mage symbiosis in your hero phase if this model's within 12 inches of any friendly wind mages you can heal up to d3 wounds allocated to this model yeah wow i don't know brendan i think 300 points would be worth it for what this thing does it does some cool stuff but when you think about the overall damage that this unit does right it's pretty limited right this unit isn't going to be playing in a hero mission to stay on the objective and keep scoring Okay. It's just not going to. Mm. If you can get your hands on a five-up save model, a lot of stuff you have is going to kill it. Sure. That makes just sense. Just plain and simple. Yep. That's the key, though. you got to get your hands on this guy. Sure. If you're using the rules right, it's going to be difficult to lock him down. And a good player won't let you, but you also then have this 300-point, basically, artillery piece mm-hmm. that is just only doing that. Yeah. Yep. Cool, man. I'm going to go keep playing the rest of the game because... When you think about the damage output of a four attack, two by three weapon. Yeah. yeah, even if it's D3 damage, yeah. You're talking about like six-ish points of damage every turn. You're, now you're more worried about some of the movement output that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. But 300 points for six points of damage? No. I mean, it's fine, but... I could get 20 blade guys and they would output a lot more damage than that. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. Then we have the non yeah, the, version. the Hurricane Spirit of the Wind. And it's the same with the exception. It does not have the scour, remove, you know, or neutralize the terrain feature. Mm-hmm. And it does not have, after it makes a normal move, pick one enemy unit, do the D3 on a three up. It doesn't have those two things. Otherwise, it's the same. Into the Gale is the same. Living Cyclone, Spirit of the Wind, and the Symbiosis are all the same. The other thing that's different here is that the bow... Mm. is one fewer rend. So it's uh, rend yeah, two, it's two yep. on the unnamed. On the ranged attack. Yeah, on, yeah okay. on the unnamed version, okay. the rend is gotcha. one fewer, and you are two wounds less. Yep, eight. Gotcha. But eight. you are 50 points fewer, and... 250, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, it's not a hero, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for eight wounds. Yeah, yeah. unlike Severeth, because Severeth is a hero. Yep. So... The regular Hurricane Spirit of the Wind is not. So some of the benefits that Severeth might be able to bring to the table in hero-based missions, you lose here. You don't have the ability to, you know, put artifacts on this character. That makes sense. 
So it's scary. It's different. It's not something you're normally able to expect and something that you should be concerned about in terms of an overall battlefield role. But it's not a unit that is the be-all, end-all of your game plan. If your opponent rocks up with a bunch of them, that's... If you take the average of, you know, six damage per, you're gonna, you're probably gonna be okay. Yeah, yeah, right, sure. <laughs> and then the last two War Scrolls we have are the Warhammer Underworlds. These are new since the last Lumineth book. You have Mayari Lightcaller, a six-inch move, five-up save, bravery eight, five wounds. And it has Searing Beams, an 18-inch range attack, three attacks, threes by threes, rend two, damage one. That's pretty okay. good. yeah. The Staff of Enlightenment, one-inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage d3. <clears throat> With a Scry Owl Familiar, adding one to casting, unbinding, dispelling rolls. And in addition, at the start of your hero phase and at the start of your shooting phase, you pick an enemy unit within 24 inches that is not visible to this model. That enemy unit is visible to this model until the end of that phase. And that's neat. Mm-hmm. Right? Makes it able to make you targets the attack. Sure. One cast, one unbind wizard. With a base spell of Dazzling Light. Casting value of a six. Until your next hero phase, subtract one from hit rolls for attacks that target the caster. And subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target any other friendly units wholly within six inches of the caster. Mayari Lightcaller is surrounded by Mayari's Purifiers. Is a total of three models, which are six inch range, four up save, bravery mm-hmm. seven, two wounds, which is pretty respectable okay. for an Underworld's Warband. Yep. Uh, one of them has the Aurelian Bow, which is an 18 inch range, two attacks, threes by fours, rend one, damage one. One of them has the Stone Mallet, one inch range, three attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. A Sun Metal Greatsword, one inch range, two attacks, twos by twos, rend one, damage one. And a Venari Dagger, one inch range, one attacks, threes by fours, no rend, damage one. The Hammer, unmodified hit rolls of six. You add one to the damage inflicted if the attack is successful. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yep. And then Guardians, roll a dice before you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to a friendly Mayari Lightcaller within three inches of this unit. And on a two-up, you must allocate that wound or mortal wound to this unit instead. Okay. Bodyguards. Yep. The Sunmetal Greatsword and the Aurelian Bow. Yeah. Attacks of six. Unmodified hit rolls of six are a mortal wound, and the attack sequence ends. It is Sunmetal. Yeah. After all. That's the second half of the Lumineth book. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, I have shared my thoughts on the idea of battle tomes being split in half in the way that they were here. As far as what it adds, I think this is legitimately what the whole of the first book should have been, you know, when attached to this. You have enough of kind of the core normal Venari stuff, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, and then you have a couple of units from each of the temples to say, you know, you can play in any of these ways, you can play mixed arms, and that's a full book. They're cool additions. I don't think any of them really bust open the game in any terrible, horrific way. Sure. There's some cool stuff and things that you have to plan around and, and things that, as an opponent, you look at and be like, okay, I need to be able to have an answer for it. But sure. I don't think you need to be going to events being like, oh my god, what if an opponent shows up with Severith and three Spirits of the Wind? I'm like, done. <laughs> like, yeah, man, your heroes are going to die. Like, I'll tell you that's for sure what's going to happen. But over the course of five battle rounds, hopefully you have enough bodies to sit there on objectives because that person committed a thousand points to... That's going to pretty severely limit their body count. ...to yeah. killing your heroes. So yeah. good luck. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's fun. I think the book overall adds value. I really like the stuff that 
Nurgle got. I think it's really great to, even though it was incremental to those kind of units, it benefits, you know, Plague Bears obviously more than anybody. Plague Bears, Plague Drones, whatever else. I still think it's really valuable. And I love the way that Broken Realms, we've said this before, does that or allows that mechanic where you can just do that little bit of tweaking to a battle tone without printing a whole new battle tone. Exactly. And they've done it again with this, I think. And hopefully, what that means in 3.0 is if your book isn't going to get some love for a while, which is a potentiality with the things that I think don't have newer battle tomes, mm-hmm. you know, like I wouldn't be expecting OCR Bone Reapers to get any major changes in Broken Realms. Right. You know, if I got a new hero, that would have been really cool, but I got a battalion, they were included in the story, cool, great. My book came out, you know, a year and three months ago. Yeah. It's pretty new compared to some others. Like I wouldn't be <laughs> expecting a, a new set of subfactions like. Nighthawk got, or I wouldn't no. be expecting major War Scroll changes like Nurgle got, it might mean that those books are a little bit further down the road than just around the corner for 3.0, mm-hmm. but they at least got things that support the idea of those armies in a modern game state. I hope that those are kind of the reconciliation pieces for those armies in that context. Okay, good stuff. All right, listeners, hopefully that was helpful, and Broken Realms Techless is now history in terms of the show. <laughs> We've done that. Yep. Been there, done that. Next up... Kragnos. Oh, oh, yeah, he's coming out. We just got that notification, yeah? Yep. Right? We took a lunch break here and saw he's coming out with a bunch of other stuff. All those heroes that they have been previewing are coming out in mm. Broken Realms Kragnos. So, Coolio. If you happen to be a Kragnos, Croak, Slanesh, uh, Sylvaneth player, you have a very expensive Saturday <laughs> coming up. Yeah, good stuff. Like so an army's exciting. worth of expensive. Yeah, and we're happy because... We got another book to review. This is awesome. We'll take it. This might get us all the way up until AOS 3.0 in terms of content. (laughs) It might just do that. Sign me up. (laughs) That's great stuff. Okay, so we're going to move on uh, now that we're finished with that, and we're going to hit Scriptorium. Brendan. Yes. New releases. New releases indeed. New book stuffs. We have three things that are out, actually out. First one that I'm excited to listen to, I'm not going to read it, is Gitslayer. So Gotrek has his third excursion into the Mortal Realms, and the first two were just excellent. Uh, but I listened to all these. It'll, I haven't read any Are these all just available on audio, uh, on Audible? Yes, like at the same, so far, yeah. At the same date? Yep. I might be listening to one of yeah. these soon. So the first, it, it kind of read them. If you haven't listened to any of them, listen to them in order for sure. Because mm-hmm. uh, I meant something. like the books in the new release. Some of oh. the other ones we're going to talk oh, yeah. about here. Some of the other ones come out that way. Uh, you just have to check because some of them do, some of them don't. So just check and see <laughs> if it's there. Uh, the other one, there's two others, A Dynasty of Monsters, which is basically a Lock of Eye novel. And she's the named character for the Vangorian Avangori Avangori Dynasty. Yep. So she has her own book. And then we have Undeath Ascendant, which is kind of a vampire omnibus. From so the think, old world. I think there's three stories in there, mm-hmm. three or four. So that sounds fun. I'm sure it'll be on my list way down the road because I got other stuff that keeps popping into my queue. It's crazy. Brendan, how about you, though? You got some things going on, yeah? Yeah, reads. just been kind of plugging away at The Lost and the Dams. I finished up the Dan Carlin book. I don't know if I did that between here and the last show or the last show. Time is a flat circle. Yes. yes. So, yeah, so the end is always near. <laughs> that is uh, the name of that book that I finished, where they discuss various things throughout history, including the Bronze Age collapse and you know near nuclear incidents. And it kind of expands on some subject matter that he touches on in his podcast, you know, periodically. Mm-hmm. 
and actually tells those full stories so that if you are listening to the different shows and he talks for four minutes about the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, you know, you get a exposition about what he means kind of in depth about some mm-hmm. of that without going mm-hmm. into the uh, minutiae of the details of illustrating exactly moment by moment what occurred in the Cuban Missile Crisis, but the... right. The, the quintessential things that help you understand an idea. So listen to that. I watched the Sons of Sam documentary oh, on God. Netflix That's, where an individual... You are into those so much. That's yeah. Th- Netflix does a really good job with them. I also finished This is a Robbery. Right. And How did that turn out? You weren't sure last time. You were like kind of waiting to decide. If you're bored, like oh, it's okay. fine. I finished it and was just kind of like ambivalent it was like yeah yeah this was okay like i guess there's a reason why this took me as long as it did to finish watching all the episodes sure it was fine the sons of sam one though i burned through that one really because it is written from the perspective of a person who had been and this is all actually stuff that occurred a, a person who had decided to take it up on themselves to investigate the son the son of sam murder because they were convinced that it wasn't one person who, uh, David Berkowitz, they were convinced that it was Mm -hmm. not one person who committed all of the Son of Sam killings. And so it follows through on investigative leads and things that the police maybe actively or negligently skipped over in pursuit of kind of closing out the case and saying like, look, we're, we're done, we're good. It was really compelling and it was a really good watch and there's not really a definitive answer to it. Okay. Which I thought was kind of interesting, right? You know, and it's because a lot of the people involved are dead. So, you know, uh, <laughs> there is that. Yeah, that's certainly part of it. But there was definitely some stuff that at least the way the material was presented that makes you go, this guy had a point. So it was compelling. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Cool. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm glad you got through your bank heist thing. <laughs> yeah. It was, talking about this. That. Well, it wasn't a bank heist. It was a it was an art museum. Oh, heist. art museum. Okay. And, like, it tells you some interesting things about what the criminal underworld, you know, wants famous pictures of art for, but... Mm. Yeah. Okay. It's just... Fair enough. It's, it's just kind of whatever. Okay. Cool. Five out of ten. Okay. Five out of ten. But Sons, Sons of Sam, eight, nine, ten? Probably an eight. Okay. You know, I really like giving things the ten out of ten where the... Like, you get kind of a really satisfactory ending, mm-hmm. uh, or if it's incomplete, at least you sit there and you go like, whoa. And this was, sure. this was it was incomplete, and you're like, this is some stuff I did not know. But there are definitely some things where, you're just, where you just kind of go, all right, and? Like, like, where are we going with this? Sure. That was cool. a good one. Great. Good stuff. Um, what about you? You have well, a, a few bullet points well, here. I have, this is so stupid. I don't know why I'm just so obsessed with First Heretic as a book. Okay. I'm going through my fourth listen on this. Very weird, Dan. Yeah, that is bizarre. Fortunately, Cindy is here and she actually listens to these things and asks questions, which, you know, because she, she's into a couple of the characters in the story. I think part of it was, you know, just the whole being into the lore and understanding, helping you understand both sides of what's going on. In terms of the story, you know, the chaos side and the imperial side. And I think because I'm reading the siege at the same time I'm listening to this, it has a lot more meaning. I'm, even though it's the fourth time, I'm 
finding things out or I'm listening to the rationale of Lorgar and Erebus, you know, the guys who went to chaos, it actually makes sense. Some of the things they're saying in the context of what we're learning in the siege. Mm. So it's actually very informative in some ways and, and things I hadn't thought about before even. So I'm enjoying that. I'm almost done with it. They're they're almost finished, but I'm halfway done with Mortis. I've really pushed to get that finished. And Brendan, no spoilers here other than to say someone who's a significant character in this story takes his toys and goes home. Hmm. And I'm reading, I read it like three times going, no, that is not what he, no, that is exactly what he just said. He said, I'm done with you. I'm out. I'm not going to participate in this madness. And it's like, wait, whoa, because this is like a new thing to the lore. Nobody expected this. So it's really cool that he got that in there. And then I did finish a book called Project Hail Mary, which is by Andy Weir, who's the same guy who wrote The Martian, uh, which a lot of people either saw the movie or read the book. And I'm doing that for the Discord Reading Club, but it was a really quick read. It's like 500 pages, and I finished it in like as many days, like five days. Hmm. I just really got into it. I think one of the things is the main protagonist is a science teacher. So it's like, oh, okay, I can identify with this guy a little bit, right? It was interesting because he's got this really powerful, altruistic personality. And given everything that's going on around him, it's fascinating that he can stay true to that, which was kind of cool. And I think that's one of the reasons I really like him. So I finished reading that. I got my Grey Knights omnibus. Now, I've had my, you know, my first book of the Ultramarines story. And so I read the first one of those three. Alaric, who is the Grey Knight that these stories are centered around. If you're into 40K lore, you should read these. Even if you're not into Grey Knights. Because especially the last one, Hammer of the Emperor, it is just this mad story of an imperial guy on a chaos planet literally it's like a demon planet and you're going how does that even work right hmm. really cool but uh, so i'll get those started but that's between both those omnibuses that's still five stories i have left out there in my queue that i didn't have i uh, love death and robots i got the first two epi- of my episodes that i wanted to watch the first one was kind of they're all shorter and they're only eight in this season but i started out with one that was kind of like these mercenaries are trying to hunt for this person it's kind of that that mechanic was really interesting and the artwork was great. The animation was great. The second one was about these two kids and the night before Christmas. And you're like, oh, that would be kind of fun. And at first you're like, oh, this is kind of, whoa, wait a minute. What just happened? And like this visual hits the screen and you're going, that wasn't what I just thought it was. And the story just takes this totally weird love, death and robots turn. Um, and just again, it sounds like, oh, that would be one for me to watch with my kids. No, I'm just telling you, Love, Death, and Robots is totally adult swim here. Uh, but the, both of them were very enjoyable. And then I've seen stuff for season three of The Boys. So I can't wait for that to get started because I finished the first two and I'm really, I've just really enjoyed that. Series. I've been meaning to start that at all. And uh, I think when you watch the first couple, you'll be like, I need to watch the right. I think you really enjoy it just because of the attitude it has towards the establishment and you know things that cavalier yeah it's it's really cool so anyway that's me staying busy with that stuff oh all right okay plenty onward my friend to this or that brendan yes as usual give me a choice I'm going to start. I feel like you have good questions. I haven't seen your questions, but my gut tells me you have good ones today. You always have good. Okay, whatever. I'm not saying mine are bad. I'm saying that like you have, and maybe I'm wrong, 
something inside me tells me that you have distilled some some myriad of questions that are hopefully going to be I think deeply be, conflicting. I think they'll be applicable. Okay. At least. All right. So start with my army-related questions. We'll go to my event-related questions, and then we'll go to my sporting-related question, which Dan likely has absolutely no insight into. Okay. Okay. So we just finished reading the second half of the Lumineth book. Stone Temple or Wind Temple? Wind Temple. Why? I don't know that. I think it's because I am overall, when I play AOS, mm-hmm. I like mobility. I like things that move fast. I like things that can displace and give your opponent something really to think about. Very mobile. And, you know, my Night Hunt, obviously. I think that the, the Wind Temple has much more potential for that kind of play. The Stone Temple man, they're poundy. They're beating the heck out of stuff. Obviously, damage focused. But the other guys, I think, would be more fun for me to play. Okay. The next one, you are going to play Christian. Would you more want to play his Coalesced or his Lumineth? His Lumineth. Why? Because I know how they play. I know how he plays them. And even if he he brought two different armies the two times I played him. But just playing him. Christian's a great guy to play against. But I think... I would rather play them than Seraphon. Just they're disturbing. <laughs> I guess I don't know. I haven't played them enough to know what I would do, to know what my options were, what my things are. You know, you, you've played enough, or you know enough about the the game, Brendan. That when you see something, you automatically, probably in your mind, well, this unit of mine would do this to this. You know, you kind of match up units and things like that mm-hmm. in your mind to so you know what the solutions are to the problems. I think I can do that with Lumineth now, and I couldn't do that with Seraphon because they haven't seen enough. You're of trial and error based. Yeah, I really am. Okay. Let's see what works. Here's the easier of the two okay. questions I think for you. You cannot go to RockCon for some reason or another. All the tickets have sold out, but you still want to go to an event that weekend. Do you go to Dragonfall or GameholeCon? Okay, that's not a fair qu- I'm not going to tell you in a minute you'll find out why that's not a fair question. Okay. Okay. Because you're not going to RockCon. <laughs> I would go to GameholeCon. You'd go GameholeCon. Because I think I've got enough other Sigmar stuff to mm-hmm. do. And that's the point is, you know, I've got stuff on either end. By that time, I will have been to three events already, Sigmar events. So I think I'd want to do something different. Yeah, that's why I thought this would be the easier one. Yeah, that is an easier question. Much easier. Then I think the more difficult of the two event questions. You're in this situation. You can still be retired. Okay, okay. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but for whatever reason, your time is limited where mm. you are going to go to one of the three tourna- Games Workshop tournaments and you get roughly, you know, five days that you can either use preceding or following or some combination thereof. But, you know, a net of effectively five vacation days total for us average working folk. Yeah, okay. Which you, I was one for yes. 40 plus years. Yes. Great. Yeah, so you'll have to just kind of remember <laughs> yeah. uh, what that was like. Uh, yes, okay. The, this isn't that long ago. <laughs> like I said, 2020 was the three longest years of my life. You've been retired for basically infinity. Four years then, yeah. Yeah, according to your timetable. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Time is a flat So which circle. would I go to? Of the three. Austin. Okay. I thought about that when you were talking about the events, and only because I have never been to Austin. Hmm. I've been to New Orleans a few times, always on business, but I mean, so I kind of know what that is. I've been to Orlando more than once, so it just would be a new experience okay. in terms of the venue and the place, and see a little bit of the city and stuff. And it's in November, so you don't have to worry about some 
about the Texas heat. You know, that's true. Okay. I can remember being down in Dallas once, and it was like 105 at, oh. at midnight. Oh, no. We like, oh. oh, maybe it'll cool off tonight. You know, we're all out of town, people. They were going, yeah, it's like 110 today or so. It was some insane temperature. And they were like, they're like, no, it doesn't cool off. And it was like 102 or 105 at midnight. We're going, okay, we're just not going to wait for it to cool off. We <laughs> it was terrible. That's got to be how you know people down south feel like when us in that situation when people down south come up here for like the dead of winter like we had an intern at one of my places who is from houston yes and she was going to experience like a full-on milwaukee winter for the first time and i was like you know the way you drive i'm gonna be pulling you out of a ditch at some point you know that right She's like, what do you mean? I said, you cannot go 85 in a blizzard. Like, Oh, that's just stupid. Yeah. Oh, God. And it's like, why is it so cold? Like, <laughs> like yo, it's only like zero. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not Wapaka weather. It gets worse. <laughs> uh, it gets cold enough where the fluids in your car don't work if you if you don't have the right mixture of it. Wait, that's a thing? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you might want to get that checked out. <laughs> so my last question here, uh, yes. you, you might want to take notes because I'm going to give you a lot of choices here. Okay. So who is going to win the National Hockey League Stanley Cup playoff? Right now you have 16 teams. Mm-hmm. So on the one side of the bracket, you have the Hurricanes, mm-hmm. the Penguins, mm-hmm. the Capitals, the Panthers, the Bruins, mm-hmm. the Lightning, the Islanders, and the Predators. And those were listed mm-hmm. in the order in which they are ranked going into this. Mm-hmm. Who do I think is going to win the whole thing? On the whole thing, right? So that's one half of the bracket. Okay. And if you want to tell me what the final is, that works too. On the other half, you have the Maple Leafs, mm-hmm. the Avalanche, the Oilers, not the football team, the Golden Knights, the Jets, also not the football team. You can stop The already. Wild, the Canadiens, and the Blues. Okay. So I think it's gonna. The finals are gonna be the Penguins and the Avalanche. Okay, that's what I think. Okay, and then I think the Avalanche will win. All right. Yeah. Now I do follow NHL a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. So I kind of know who the teams are and where they are and stuff. I also like no teams I like because when I did work down in Chicago, I used to go to you know Blackhawk games all the time because my friend had tickets mm. and he would take me every once in a while and I really got into hockey then. So yeah, I think the Avalanche will win everything. Nice. Okay. Those are my five. That was better than the MPA one last time. So <laughs> anyway, I'm still going with the Jazz, by the way. Okay. The Jazz play tonight for the first yep, time in we'll the playoffs. See. We will see. So my first question is, you have to choose a character in okay. Nurgle. Are you going to take the Bile Piper or the Scrivener? The good thing is I think both of them are good. Yes. I like the Bile Piper more because you can hand out the buff to multiple units. Because it's, it's just that wholly within 14-inch bubble. So if anything of yours in that bubble that fits the appropriate keyword requirements gains the benefit. Because Scrivener is only a unit. Correct. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So now we're going to go to Lumineth. Would you, for 300 points, take Severith? Or would you save the 50 points, which is a command point, mm-hmm. and take the unnamed wind spirit? So the fact that it's no longer keyword locked into Yometrica... Mm-hmm. I would say Severeth is the take. Okay. The extra bit of rend is nice, but the ability to destroy faction terrain, which is ultimately a linchpin sometimes to the function of an army. Now you can't like destroy the boats or anything like that, but you remove their ability to hand out 
the AOE saves and damage and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You can turn off Nurgle trees. You can turn off thrones. You can turn off things that make armies go. That's really quite good. Yes. And then the fact that you can be doing damage D3 mortal wounds across three phases of turns Mm -hmm. with Severeth versus just strictly from moving versus the damage that you would do with the unnamed version, I think exceeds the 50 points of spend. It then becomes a question of is the 250 and 300 points accurate with what it is that they do? And I think that's a separate uh, question. Plus the two extra wounds you get. All right. Now I am, despite my announcement, I'm going to ask a 40k question here. Oh no! <laughs> so, based on the fact that the Admech have a brand new codex coming out, mm-hmm. if you were going to start a brand new 40k army, would it be? And you have choice of two things. Okay. Either Space Marines or Admech. I think Space Marines. Okay. Because Admech armies strike me as way, way too expensive mm-hmm. financially. Mm. for what it is that you get at each purchase increment. It's interesting you say this because uh, the Stark Collecting Box has, for example, a Dune Crawler, which are, mm-hmm. first of all, almost impossible to find. And they're like $70 just for the one model, to sure. your point. But that Stark Collecting Box is a huge deal. It's good deal. value. It's really good value. But like those horse guys oh, yeah. are like $70. They are really expensive. I agree. Yeah, for five of them or whatever yeah, it is, it's nuts. That's it's nuts. That's a lot. And people were complaining about the heavy intercessors being like sixty dollars or something, and then <laughs> you get these guys are seventy bucks. Yeah, okay. So Space Marines, it is. Space Marines, it is. Okay, so now we're going to do a history question. Okay, and this is regarding the Knights Templar. You know who they are or who they? Yes. Were. Okay, they were so, a key element in Crusader lore. Okay, but the question is overall. Sure. Do you believe they were good guys? Not not the good guys or the bad guys, oh, but boy. good guys or bad guys? What do you think overall? Wow, history really typically has no quote-unquote good guys. Hmm. Now, understand, I'm also talking about the Templars after they were destroyed, and several of them, you know, many of the Templars went to Scotland, and they did other things. Yeah. So overall, in their history, do you think they were a positive or a negative effect on the on the medieval times, on the Middle Ages? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's a net positive, right? Okay. The And you can't say it without the inclusion of, they did horrific things in the name of a religion, that was having things occur for strictly political motivations, effectively. Mm-hmm. The institutions that they set up, some of which were descendants of uh, Roman systems, but had been lost due to the fall of the Roman Empire, mm-hmm. uh, had been reintroduced. Primarily, the, the notion of the modern banking system uh, was managed through the Knights Templar. And what you think about modern banking systems is your own idea, but the effective ability that you don't have to carry around with you bags and bags of gold uh, is pretty sizable. They were part of advances in Western medicine. Now, a good chunk of that was lessons that were learned in the Middle East from an era where while the Europe was going through the Dark Ages, the Middle East was in a golden age of science and technology Mm. and learning. And you have to give credit to where a lot of that came from. But it was brought to a different part of the world that ultimately from there shot forward into the age of exploration and the age of enlightenment. And And you're right about the Templars bringing back many things mm. that they they learned. They were very 
very well educated. We think of a lot of people just have this picture of them swinging swords, but they actually did a lot more than that. So that's interesting that you would say that. Yeah. So overall, a net positive. A, a net positive. You wouldn't be wrong to say the Crusades were what they were. Yeah. I mean, let's just be honest about it. Yeah. So yeah, agreed. Okay. And then. I'm going to ask kind of the same question that you asked me. I had it written down right here before you asked, even. Okay. So, Brendan, you can't go to Dragonfall. <laughs> Which one are you going to go to, RockCon or GameholeCon? I'd probably go to GameholeCon because uh, okay. that's where most of my friends would be. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Not that I don't think that like RockCon probably isn't a fun time, but you know the rest of the Basement of Death crew, if they're not going to Dragonfall for the most part, are going to GameholeCon. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I would agree with that. Okay. Uh, that's it for... This or that. This or that. And we're moving on to close this puppy out. Sure. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Episode... Brendan, 75, Duder. Yeah. 75, man. Wow. And we are going to talk about... So that's we're like a year away from episode 100. That's is crazed. effectively what that means. That's crazed. So we're going to talk about vampires, soul blight, grave lords. Yeah, and it might be kind of a long one because there's a lot of there's stuff. A lot in of that war book. scrolls. There's a lot of war scrolls. There's a lot of things to unwrap in that book. There's five so allegiances. Stand by for heavy rolls, listeners. It's going to be, and of course, as always, I think we might even divide Emperor Lies into three sections. Usually, I timestamp something about halfway through, but I think we're probably going to really divide it up and put some timestamps in there to make sure it's listenable in chunks because we want to do a good job with it. And really, we're going to focus on that more than anything we may actually move some things around in the show or whatever just so we have enough time to spend on on the vampire battle tone sure that makes sense yeah okay brendan thank you as always we got through that one yeah good just, stuff yeah we've got soul blight and then kragnos and then probably 3.0 so wow stay tuned for what is now boom, boom, boom. a i guess exclusively an age of sigmar podcast Shh. now brendan wait a minute we're still going to talk about 40K. We just won't talk about games played, my friend. I know this is this is traumatic, by the way, you guys. When I announced that, Brendan was like, he, he was traumatized. I, I could just tell stand you. up and walk away. Yeah. You, <laughs> we're still going to talk about codexes if we're interested, those kind of things. So that stuff will still be part of the show. But again, in all fairness, when you look back and if you look at our episodes and stuff and see how much we have talked about 40K, it hasn't been a whole lot. I don't think it's going to affect the show that much for sure. Uh, just you know what we do personally. So all right, <laughs> as you still you're sitting there, as I stare blankly into stunned. the sun. <laughs> well, thank you, listeners, for coming along as always with the ride, and we will see you guys next time around. Bye. This is the end.